speed hello hi hi we are on on location again Ooh. in we shouldn't geotag right i mean we don't want anybody to know i know that montana's cool that it exists <laughs> that it exists <laughs> i think the secret's out um with along with uh, someone who to me um Certainly, when I was starting climbing, was a legend, and we got to sit down sometime last year for the first time and drink bourbon or something, yeah, yeah. and talk about climbing, <laughs> which and climbing history and things that I um, hadn't remembered that I knew. Or <laughs> it was really things. incredible to watch. Yeah, and to and to think about um, the impact that I mean, if I just like go through the the list of of names of the people that you were climbing with and have climbed with through the course of sixty five years of climbing. When did you start? I started in nineteen fifty three, the year. The Americans, no, no, that was the year Everest was first climbed. Was first climbed, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was 15. Wow. So I'm very close to... You're, you're one seven, year away. 70 years of, <laughs> of, of climbing. And, and it was it's sort of remarkable to me because I did a little refreshing of memory and, and Blair had invited some people to, uh, like, what? kind of a question would you like to ask Pat if we were going to have a conversation with him and Conrad mm -hmm. wanted to uh, wanted to know you know what was it like climbing with Warren Harding which I would also <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like to hear about but and and then I realized oh it was the Lost Arrow direct mm. then I recall uh, so in the uh, the Alpine Club entry um, the American Alpine Journal entry from that was describing yeah, some ground down cliff hangers. And you have to grind them down far enough to like hook them in some quarter inch bolt hole, you know, a shallow quarter inch bolt holes. I thought that must have been incredibly advanced at that time. Yeah, Harding was always on the on the cutting edge of something. It was also the first voyage of the bat tent. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Which I never saw an actual example, but I think sometime later, Bill Forrest put, made some kind of a hammock with spreader bars. Uh, this is obviously pre-Portal Edge. Um, what did he call it? The wall womb or something like that? Oh, it had yeah. a rain fly that, <laughs> that was coated nylon that kept water in and out. <laughs> <laughs> and you became like a giant cauldron of your own soup in this hammock. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> so disgusting. 
I don't know how anybody slept in that thing because even with the spreader bars, they were. Well, climbing with Warren Harding was one of the most delightful four days mm. I can I've ever had. Wow! Just how come? Well, it's many reasons. He he was just such an incredibly personable and knowledgeable and he's just great to be around. How did it happen to go up there with him? Because a lot of people had been looking at the possibility to... It's a very good question. (laughs) It all happened because of a guide, a Teton guide named Herb Swedlin. Okay, yeah. So he he contributed by having walked by himself up to the base of the wall and spotting a 400-foot crack, which nobody knew was there. So between like the second and third pitches, or or second and fourth or fifth pitch, there was it was just great free climbing and nailing. Wow! Nothing, um, no bolt. That's what made this possible, because otherwise it was going to be endless bowl ladder. Oh, yeah. It looked totally blank from the bottom of the valley floor. Mm-hmm. But, but this guy... It's not a short hike to get up there, up there, if and I recall. <laughs> Travis pointed it out when we were there. He's like, oh, Pat, Pat did that first ascent. And, <laughs> and once that was known, the, the word got back to... Harding or Galen Rowell, perhaps, I don't know which one, but they were going to climb it, knowing that it was a reasonable and a wonderful adventure. Yeah. yeah. Waiting. Unfortunately for Galen, his wife was due <laughs> on the very date that we were going to, to do this. Yeah. So he, he made a choice between family and going climbing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And. Well, so why did he choose me? That's because Fred Becky, uh, because Harding had bailed out of the Great White Throne first descent. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Which which was, was that the same year? I'm tra- now. I'm trying. I'm going to get some years mixed. That up. was year but before. Year before. Okay. And so, and I only learned that I was sort of the substitute. A couple of years ago, <laughs> I was reading the Alpine Journal. Or, or You're reading, like, wait, reading what? a story in, in, in the Alpinist. I thought, oh, really? They didn't really want me at first. But when Harding bailed, then, um, then Fred, Fred was, I climbed with Fred a lot, okay. as yeah. you can imagine. And we can talk about how that got started. Um, but... But I was living in L.A. area, and Fred also, his brother lived there and at the time. And so, okay. so he was around there, and he'd done this this uh, research and and diplomacy with the Park Service to get them to allow a Zion climb. Uh, oh my. The face, wow. the face, because yeah. it, the Rangers naturally being ultra-conservative, thought that rocks would fall on the tourists, but Fred was able to convince them that no, no way the rocks are going to fall down that far. 
And um, <laughs> so, so we, we got this wonderful opportunity. And, and so Galen and Fred and I did. He, did the Becky first. was remarkable. Yeah. At, Tricking officialdom into allowing him to do what he wants. He, yeah. he was indeed, yeah. and, and that was the most incredible one of all, I think, because it had gone unclaimed for thirty years because of the rule. Yeah, because it it had been the Great White Throne had been climbed by some route in the maybe the thirties or something. I, I don't know the de the time, but I knew about that somehow. And okay. when Fred called me up and said, Let, I want you to come with me and climb the Great White Throne face. I, I said, I said it, it's been climbed. <laughs> he says, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Who? Yeah. And... And he said, oh, I think you're thinking of the backside. Yes. Less lower angle. Yeah. And I said, yeah, maybe so. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Pat, I might be confusing this, but is this the same climb that you talked about buying lag screws instead of ice screws? Yeah, I can come to that. that <laughs> I thought that this was <laughs> that, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so Galen and Fred and I, went to Great White Throne and and got quite a ways up it, but it was in it was in April, I think, and just there was just a series of rainstorms that came through and and we got about halfway up and it was going well. The lower part of the rock was very solid. We put in quarter inch um, quarter inch uh, studs for the, mm -hmm. the, the the bolt of the day. The bolt of the day, yes. <laughs> and, um, and it held beautifully. But then further up, then we used um, sort of three-eighths inch um, compression bolts of some sort. I mean, not compression, but um, expansion bolts. Okay. And so that um, they would squeeze out against the soft, softer yeah. uh, sandstone that was up there. And... Uh, He's, so we were up there not so long after a rainstorm, and he said, he was yelling down at us, I can't, I can't get anything in here, the bolts won't hold. Because uh, it was kind of like powdered sh brown sugar, you know? Yeah, it was yeah. coming out, and it, just, it got soft up higher. And so what, so what he used to repel off with was a three-quarter inch angle driven into the three-eighths hole he drilled. Yeah. So, so that works. But we got to thinking as we got back on the valley floor that, that we don't want to be way up near the top in a big rainstorm yeah. where the rock is really soft. Oh, yeah. And Whoa. what do we do? And don't ask me why, but I had a fairly new ice screw that was even better than the, the original Russian Solivus with me. <laughs> and I was in L.A., and I don't know to this day why I had it. Because <laughs> you were supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> but I took it out 
so we were down at the bottom waiting for the rock to dry out again and and I just took the screw out to a boulder outside of camp and drilled a, drilled a hole and screwed it in and it was just perfect. I mean, that thing was solid as a rock. Wow. I mean, it was just exactly the answer to what you would do mm-hmm. if you were up with nothing but brown sugar yes. limestone or <laughs> sandstone. So I showed that to Galen, and Galen says, well, those things cost $20, $20 probably, which was expensive then <clears throat> in 67. And um, we don't want to take 20 of those with us. <laughs> so he uh, says, I can, I'll just go get some lag screws from the, from the hardware store and bend over the, the end, and we'll have what we want. And, and they work perfectly. And we'd, we used them on lead to some extent when the, the bolts seemed like they were shaky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a good visit to the Ace Hardware store, yes, I guess. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. so, yeah, when we first, when Pat first told us this story, uh, he's like explaining, you know, the ice screws were $20 at the time, which is like $100 these days. Yeah, and it was right. really, so it was really expensive. So we got lag screws and, and Pat's like, and they just held and they were so, um, bo- they were like bomber proof. And Travis was like, uh, that's not what I heard, Pat. I heard that it was a pretty bold and prolific climb. And Pat's like, who said that? <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to do that, cl- repeat that climb with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is- well, yeah, with Travis, it would have been a good thing to have <laughs> yeah. strong bolts. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> but try, was so the the that is it that route on the Great White Throne that was um, televised when George Willig was trying to solo it or did solo it? Do you remember? This would have been vaguely remembered something about that. I don't know the details. Though. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. He. It was after he climbed one of the World Trade Center towers. Yeah, I, re- I somehow recall like a wild, wide world of sports, you know, thing yeah, about I, it. But you know, I don't know more. what. Yeah. yeah, I can vaguely, very vaguely. I can't remember enough detail to help you there. Yeah, but a, an important backstory or final uh, story on this is that Dougal. Yeah. wanted me to go climb it with him and I, I couldn't get around to it so he went with somebody else and climbed it and I said well how are the bolts up at the top and and I said I would imagine that the original expansion bolts in the in the white the pretty white granite at the top that was not very solid they, I, don't, I don't see how you could really um stand on him, you know, especially him. <laughs> and, but, I mean, I was generally worried about him. I thought, you know, I don't really want to go back there because I don't know what those bolts are going to be like now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But then we'd have to redrill them and that sort of thing. But but he went, and he said they were fine, huh. which totally amazes me Whoa. because they they were, I remember just putting in some that you felt like you're okay for doing direct aid on them, but I, I just had the feeling I wouldn't want to fall 20 feet on them. 
It's legit. So for him to do it 20 years later or something like that, or even more, that surprised the heck out of me. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that was, that was, was a great, great trip. And was this in the sort of the, the similar era of, um, I can't remember what year that he, they climbed ship ship rock. Like Becky was in the desert a lot. Yes. Yes. And Man. it was in that vicinity, but oh um I kind of feel like at least you know seeing some climbers careers and I don't know the if I if I don't know the whole story, it's like oh this was his period when he was in the desert a lot. This was the Alaskan period. This was um but Fred was just everywhere, so I guess it yeah. is not. Yeah. not um, well, yeah, it was a few years distant from when he did Shiprock, probably. But okay. but it, but he was very interested in doing things in the desert. And so a side story on this is that after we made the discovery of the ice screws, we said, uh, "Okay, we got to go back home." But in be- before that. We had said, okay, let's go over to Monument Valley, mm. and maybe things will be drier when we get back from there. So that was a great little side trip, and and Fred, of course, had a route all staked out for us. Of course, <laughs> the first descent of the Middle Sister mm. in 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 the Monument Valley. There are three yeah. towers yeah. side by side and the middle one had never been climbed yeah and what a deal Uh. and so we got there and we climbed it um it was very interesting (laughs) and but very nice climbing and when we came down i was following a little ways behind fred as we walked as we just as we got back to the cars and there was a park ranger there and he was he was native to the area and he's as soon as he got within earshot he said to fred the natives are restless and they really this was a time when they really weren't keen on having hardware used on those oh yeah for sure things yeah i remember that famous picture of him and bjornstad holding the absolutely yeah. no rock climbing sign with shiprock in the background oh, yeah and, and fred was i mean obviously i grew up or started climbing in the cascades and you know you can't go anywhere there that fred hadn't already been right um and i remember him maybe it was shiprock but maybe it was another desert climb where he had spent a lot of time climbing in the cascades and so was no stranger to um i think the quote was if it's green, grab it. Because there's brush, you know, like yeah. you go out to Darrington or some of these places oh, yeah, and there's yeah, yeah. You know, these big yeah, bushes yeah. growing out of cracks and stuff. And I somehow recall the story of being in the desert and sees a, you know, kind of sketched out, sees a bush, grabs it, and then falls with it still in his hand while he's looking at it. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. because grab it if it's green doesn't work in the desert as yes. well as it does in a more maritime climate, let's, yeah. let's say. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Pat, you yeah. just celebrated a birthday, didn't you? 
I did. Yeah, what birthday was that? Number 84. 84. 84 and still my rope gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pat, so that's almost 70 years of climbing. Yeah. Uh, what first drew you? What, what attracted you to climbing when you were 15? So that story, I'll try not to make it too long, but, okay. but my, as near as I can tell, the very instant of the start of my need to climb yeah. was in looking at a, at a photo in a you know, sports magazine of yeah. some sort that was advertising um, a climbing trip. Yeah. And so I can't understand why, but there, I felt something... A, a series of waves of 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 nerve impulses go through my abdomen, yeah. my stomach. I I had a gut feeling about it, you <laughs> yeah. could say. Yeah. And uh, I also immediately thought this climbing stuff is known to be very dangerous and crazy. So I thought to myself, well, I'm just going to put it out of my mind that would be irresponsible yeah sort of a problem with me throughout <laughs> life i sometimes tend to be too responsible <laughs> well but so what helped a lot was as a sophomore in high school i was taking a literature class from a guy who climbed mountains <laughs> and mountain climbing out of eugene oregon area involved going up to the Cascades and climbing a volcano. Yeah. And they look pretty fierce from a distance. You can't really tell them from Mount Everest, practically, to, <laughs> yeah. to an uninitiated eye, anyway. And um, so it was a revelation, because he showed these slides of them up, way up on the mountain, and they were hiking. <laughs> Because I said, that doesn't look that irresponsible. <laughs> no, I, it, it was not lost on me that I can do this. Yes. And I see, I get it now. It's like driving. You can do it safely or not. Yeah. And yeah. even if you do it safely, you could get killed. And yeah. so what's the difference? Yeah. So, yeah. so from that point on, I read books. I must have read 50 books on climbing. I got out of the library and my parents noticed this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they arranged that I could that my my father and I would be on the annual tenderfoot climb of the middle sister. Okay. Not far from Eugene. Yep. Just a just a snow cone, really. So we went on that and and that was just such a I always have thought back it was such a nice thing of my parents to do that yeah. because what what parent really wants their kid to go climbing yeah <laughs> so yeah. that was but my dad and I had gone out and walked through the forest and enjoyed it very much and yeah. so it was it was a great it was just a neat thing that happened and and even my mother I had the pleasure of guiding her up three-fingered jack which is which actually involves rock climbing mm -hmm. with belays. <laughs> yeah. Um, when she was forty, yeah. 
uh, just a couple of years later, uh, and I thought, I was so impressed that at the age of 40, she could do that. Yeah. <laughs> she so, had no trouble. So old. <laughs> it's, it's, funny, so old. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I feel like in other interviews or conversations, you talked about when you turned 40, there was kind of a little bit of a lull in your own climbing because you thought that's just when people are kind of done with this sport. And, and you climbed theoretically again when you were 40, right? Uh, many times well, yeah. since I was... But you climbed, you climbed it when you were 40, and you're like, well, that might be it. That might be the last time. And yeah, you... there was a moment like that on one of my climbs, theoretically. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I had been away for a year yeah. to on a sabbatical with Cornell. Yeah. And it's part of what I wanted to say today is that I had determined that I was spending way too much climbing time climbing and not enough doing research or work and and I needed to I realized I was also dying on the vine academically and mm. so so I pretty much had it in my mind I was just gonna work for a whole year with it no climbing yeah and at some point I was I was getting stir crazy I I could not stand it anymore yeah and then Fortunately, um, there was there was a physics graduate student at Cornell who who liked ice climbing, and in the two days of the whole year in which there was some ice in Ithaca, New York, <laughs> uh, he took some people out and they climbed and gave them instruction, and it was in the paper. Yeah. So I called him up and I said, "I'd like to go climbing with you." I knew it was a great, and I just couldn't help myself. Good. And and I said I, and I think I felt like I had to give him some credentials. So I told him, I'm the centerpiece in Chenard's ice climbing book. Yes. <laughs> yes. The only bad thing about that is there was no caption that said so. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody could say that. <laughs> and that was one of the one of my bad mistakes in life, because I was sending him the picture. It oh was a picture God. taken by Jim Kanzler's wife. Yeah. And I sent the. And this is like photo. walking up to or on Green Gully. I, I was leading it. Leading it for the first descent. I'm. I'm Green Gully. Find yeah. a, there's got to be a copy of Climbing Ice in this house. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably right next to me. I know, totally. I'm like looking yeah. at the shelf. I sent <laughs> Chenard. Well, I had a friend who was, who was a photographer I climbed with when I was at climbing in L.A. area at Talkates. And he was, he was kind of a regular climbing partner. And, and he, but he was more sociable than I was. So he, he actually knew Chenard pretty well and socialized with him and showed I sent him some of my slides and Sharon saw him and I sent him a bunch of slides when he's writing a book and of all of the all of them uh, well it was taken by a Kanzler's wife and I forgot to tell him that for one thing <laughs> and, and I also forgot to tell him it was me <laughs> details and when and a copy of this this photo sh appeared in Outside magazine, 
And boy, was she mad. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Chancellor's wife. And, <laughs> and then I had to, and she demanded to be paid, and and, and so we fixed that up. Okay, yeah. but it was. <laughs> there was an era like that. When, yeah, right. When good climbing pictures were rare. Mm-hmm. And it was important, yeah, it was important to make sure that those responsible were well, I mean, isn't it even more so now? I, I, I don't know. It's different. It's, well, I think about... It feels different to me now. I mean, I'm still kind of a ruthless about copyright Oh yeah. things, I, but... As it should be. Uh, that's your work. That's your heart. And I think part of the specialness of Mark's photography in the mountains is the effort that went into it. Yeah. I mean, people weren't bringing nice cameras out there and and pulling them out in certain situations maybe i mean i can think of i mean we've already mentioned galen Raul. yeah <laughs> he was yeah um but he and, and he, oh. he and ridgeway i mean those guys kind of pointed the the way at least for sure. me i'm like sure. well if you can do it i get it's another human being would carry a nikon fm2 with a couple of lenses yeah so Yes, speaking of getting back on the topic that we were on, didn't quite finish it because Galen was on the climb. On the Great White Throne. On the Great White Throne. And we all know what a great photographer he is, was, I mean, but he was using a Brownie Instamatic on that climb. Ah, that's awesome. And that was his, I don't know whether he'd even taken pictures before then, but... Wow. But, I was going to say, that's so retro. Like, now, if you pull out a brownie, you're just like, you're a, you're a hipster. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. but he, he he was a very intelligent guy, and and he quickly went up the scale and, oh, yeah. and became a professional. He, he got one of... At least one of those photos from the Great White Throne was published in the Alpine Journal. Yeah. Okay. He, I think he probably saw from that, I can make a living at this. Good. But it was, I mean, he he was, I was turning down my nose at him for that. Yeah. I thought, what? What are you using that for? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was, that's just an interesting sidelight of a gentleman. But anyway, so, well, because... That was a great climb, three-day climb. Um, I spent a lot of time with Galen, and when Harding pulled out of the the uh, Lostero Direct, Galen was probably Harding's best buddy. Yeah, they were both the anti-Robins. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> and uh, they were. They were staunch members of that party, and um, and and so so Galen said, you know, get Pat Cowles to go with you. Yeah, and so it was. That's how it happened. Oh, <laughs> and such a such a wonderful thing for me because um, because I was of course all in. <laughs> and oh, that, yeah. that, man, this is going to be great. And yeah. still remember the night before the climb. We were all, as always, Harding was drinking wine in copious amounts, and <laughs> we were standing around at 10 o'clock in the evening. One of 
Harding's many girlfriends, whoever it was at the time, came out to the campfire and said, um, well, I'm going to go to bed. And he, and he says, I'll be right there. But he kept drinking for another two hours. And <laughs> 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 uh, I think that's probably why he didn't, why he had lots of girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> Never won too long for a while, anyway. So our first two nights on the, on the mountain, on the, on the climb, um, which we went up the next day after drinking all night, mm. half the night. It sounds about um, right. We went up the That's... next day and we got to the base and and started packing up stuff and spent the night at the base and I noticed he was packing steaks. And yes. oh my God, how are we going to do that? Yeah. And But he knew the first two ledges were... Thank God, let, let's see, they're, what do they call those ledges? These are ledges that were used in the very first ascent of the Lost Arrow. Of the Lost Arrow. Coming from the valley, the first yeah. valley climb all the way up in the gully between right. the tower. But you could walk out on these ledges. So he knew those were going to be our bivouac ledges. And he knew there was firewood on them. Oh my God. No kidding. Yeah, so we... We had steaks oh my God. That's <laughs> cooked awesome. over fire, campfires you on would. <laughs> the first two ledges. Let's see, 18, uh, 68 to uh, 50 years. There's probably not a lot of firewood there these days. I'm, I'm guessing <laughs> not. I'm guessing not. <laughs> yeah. But um, being it was the first ascent, it was in good shape. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I mean he, he, he had this, this trip planned out so well. And and he had the bat tent along for the third bivouac, at the which is basically at the base of the of the um, Lostero, on the on the on the valley side that we were on a ledge, and that was we didn't have a campfire that night, <laughs> and uh, he pulled out the bat tent, and I, I swear he spent at least an hour struggling to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> but he made it. <laughs> and, uh, and as you said, when we did have to have boat ladders, it, he had that little device. Yeah. Just this, this sand, the uh, narrowed, it had, it was just a regular cliffhanger, but it had the, he made little, it smaller. So like a little that, beak. Yeah, he, he ground yeah. it off so that it would stick into these quarter inch holes and it I'd really made things fast. I remember that um, the, the the whole thing, obviously, the between him and Robbins, and Robbins was going to go up and erase the route, and uh, I guess that would be the Don Wall. That was the Don Wall. Yeah. yeah, and then and then got part way up, and then was shocked at the quality yeah. and difficulty of the right. climbing that Harding yeah. had done, mm -hmm. and then they just decided to not chop any more of the route, but right. to try and repeat it themselves. I remember that too. And uh, it's funny when you talk about that sort of rivalry or whatever it was um, between Harding and Robbins. And I mean, in that time frame, we knew we were gone. I'm trying to think. We must have left the 
Valley in six, 1965. Yeah. Um, but my dad is a park ranger there was, you know, friends or not, yeah. <laughs> depending on, and, and he'd, so, he, and he'd been in the army with Robbins and knew Wayne Mary, stayed, stayed friends with him. Like, yeah. Um, and I think at some point Wayne, in, in written correspondence, I'd, I'd probably said something to my dad about wanting to become a climber and he said, you should talk to Wayne and he'll talk you out of it or something like that. Um, which it had the opposite effect. <laughs> I think there was maybe some communication between the two, and I think Wayne was not overly encouraging. Yeah. Um, at that at that point, but but I don't I don't recall my father ever mentioning Harding. Huh. But he surely would have arrested him at some point. Yeah. You, know? you would think so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How old were you at that point? When so I was born um, in 1961 in the in the valley. I was, and my sister yeah. was born in '59 right. there, also in in the clinic. And so when we he transferred to Mount Rainier, and I think that would have been uh, maybe even it might have been earlier. So I think I was three. Yeah, it would have been the, 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 the math 64 or something when we went to Mount Rainier. I think so. Prior to a lot of, I'm guessing, I can't now. I can now my history is escaping me. I can't remember when the nose happened or um, those things. But we would have been around. I'm guessing at that at that point. Yeah, that date is out of my. Can't remember. But it is remarkable that to me that <laughs> he didn't mention you know some sort of drunken disorderly you know these ruffian anti-establishment climbers. Terrible, terrible example. <laughs> yeah. Young Mark's like, who? What are their names? Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Harding, Harding was a, a, a hot rodder, or he, he was kind of a, like a member of a gang of some sort. That's what I heard, something to that effect before he, who know, who knows why he came to the valley and became a climber. It's yeah. interesting. 58. Yeah, that's, the that, that's right. Yeah. I, I knew that. When you were there in sort of that era around, you know, the, the mid-60s, or and was there at that point and sort of this, what to this day is kind of an adversarial relationship between the Park Service and people using the resource for, you know, climbing? Uh, it, it, I didn't spend a lot of time up there because... So I can't I can't talk very authoritatively about it. Okay. But um, I I did take three or four trips up from L.A. to do do climbs, yeah. including including the. But the the main climb I did there was Lostero, yeah. with with Arning. Um And so I spent a few nights in in Camp Four. Yeah. And. I even went, I followed Robbins around one evening when he was bouldering, yeah. and um, that was fun. I was glad, I'd, but I never really got to do a climb with him, yeah. but I would have liked to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And with partner, I had um, Charlie Raymond, whose sister was, she was 
uh, his wife was Royal Robin's sister, I think. Okay. Yeah, it's Royal. Yeah, or I think his wife's sister. Anyway, we yeah, long let's time not ago. try to get this yeah. too straight. But <laughs> so there was a connection. So being um, being in Los An- in the Los Angeles area, um, and I recall we talked before a little bit about um, being sort of a regular or an early uh, sort of climber at Takeets and suicide. Yes, I would yeah. say my. My partner at the time, Larry Reynolds, who I was going to mention, did all the photographic commercials for Don Loria. And so there were a lot of them, a lot of them, nice ones. Yeah. He was, he was a professional photographer, but, but he, he, and he was a pretty good climber. I mean, even though he was actually overweight, a fair amount overweight, <laughs> but he could still, especially on friction, did very well, very well. So I climbed with him quite a bit there for a while, and I'm trying. I've lost track of where I'm going with this. I understand. But it was essentially it's like the local crag for anybody in Los Angeles in the Los Angeles area, like to go to Takeets and to like that's like Takeets is where is, where we climb mostly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and so obviously in that case, Yosemite's not exactly next door. Very less. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. So we didn't go up there very much. Yeah. But um, I I was up there um, with Larry a few times, but we climbed it at at Takeets, and one day I uh, asked Mark Powell, and you... You know who Mark Powell? Yes, he, he was. He was going to be the person who climbed El Cap first, mm. yes. and then, then had an unfortunate accident, taking a a girl climbing, and broke his ankle, and so he didn't get to do it. He, he was, but he was in the L.A. area, and I ran into him at, at Talkies. And also Bob Camps. Oh my goodness! They were yeah. happened to be living in L.A., and so I got to know them at Talkies. And they both told me that suicide. When I asked them about why why aren't these nice faces been done over at suicide? Oh, they're too steep. They're just like Yosemite walls, no cracks. To this day, I don't know if they were putting me on or if they simply didn't really look. Oh, okay. That's wild. But wow. one day, Larry and I were up on the on a little rocky ridge that you could third class up to eat lunch, and it was right on the edge of one of these beautiful faces. And I saw a ledge going out there, and I, I just walked way out in the middle of the face, and I said, "What? This is five eight out here. There's chicken heads everywhere, <laughs> and there's it's." Wow. And I, I hurriedly went back and got some gear. Had him belay me, I put in one bolt and did a 5-8 move and then put in pitons, the rest of the crack, and and then we went down to the bottom and I led the first pitch of it up to where to, it was, to where, to where I'd started the yeah. ledge. And that was 5-5 five, five, and I put in one bolt and we had done the first ever face climb at at suicide. 
Mm. We call it the surprise route. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, from then on, I think I was on 25 of 40 routes that were done there. Nice. Um, before I left, I was I was down there from '66 to '68. And you moved here in '68. Um, so uh, it was. I mean, how can you be that lucky? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. The thing every <laughs> climber wants is vast amounts of unclimbed, beautiful rock. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and and especially vast amounts of unclimbed, beautiful rock that others have looked at and decided was unworthy of yeah. their efforts or was too hard or for whatever well, yeah, reason. Or, yeah, it, 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 that was so ironic because those two guys, that was their thing, climbing bolted <laughs> face, face slab yeah, climbs. Yeah. And that's the only thing that, that Powell could do because he had this fused ankle and, yeah. and he, he put up, he was putting up new routes yeah. of that nature and so, and so was Camps. It's just bizarre. <laughs> Twenty-five of forty. That's a, that's a good, that's a good amount. And I and I wrote the first guidebook, or I wrote the draft of the first guidebook, and then but I'd left to come here. Okay. And did you start working at MSU in 1968? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I, I came here in the middle in the summer of 1968. And, and you're the longest-running professor at MSU now, aren't you? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say it must be because... <laughs> we, went to, we went to some award ceremony a couple of years ago. Do you remember that, Pat? And I feel like they mentioned it. Yeah, I think that it's, it's certainly true now. There, there, there was a while when I was... There was sort of a distinction between whether you were still active or... Or mm. sort of an emeritus or something like that, but yeah, no, I, I don't think anybody's, because <laughs> <laughs> it's over fifty years yeah, it's, teaching there. It's closing, yeah. coming in close to fifty-four. Yeah, okay. and um, you're a chemistry professor there. Correct. Yeah, yeah, and when we've talked about it, you talked about um, when you talk about climbing and teaching. We were discussing an interview uh, a number of years ago, and, and the person asked, how did you pick between climbing and work? And you said, you didn't. Uh, you've been passionate about both. Uh, to me, it seems like for the entirety of your life. When, when you talk about getting into climbing and you get giddy, and I mean, I met you, we started climbing when you were 76, and you still very much got, and still do get very giddy about climbing. Uh, we don't talk as much during the climbing route, but when we're running together, we have a chance to talk about chemistry and that, that same giddiness that you have and exude for climbing, uh, you very much have that for chemistry and, and your, in your work life as well. Um, yeah. Would you talk a little bit about, uh, your career at MSU? Sure. Um, I would say at the beginning here that I loved 
the fact that you knew about dark matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what and, is it? I know and, about it. And you, you you made the mistake of saying that at <laughs> some point, and then then you couldn't shut me up for, exactly. the, for the next five miles. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Pat and I do very much enjoy science. Uh, we have similar degrees in the fact that in the eighth grade, I was named Science Student of the Year, beating out Josh Smith. And if you went to Buchanan Middle School, you know what a big deal that is. So, uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so I was able to hang on a little bit. So Josh Smith was never the same. After no. That. <laughs> yeah. He's like, Blair beat me as science yeah. student. Oh, uh, that's funny. And I very much love hearing about the research that you're doing. Yeah. Did you brush up on a little chemistry? No, I meant to. I told Mark. I was like, I got to brush up on my chemistry a little bit before Pat comes over. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, chemistry. Why did I do that? Um, yeah. But again, my parents are, they sense something that, that, and I don't really know what they saw that made them buy me a chemistry set, but I really liked that. And, and I... <laughs> Played, I did things with it, and, and it wasn't just blowing through. Unlike a lot of people at that young age yeah. who just like blowing things up. And I, that's the chemistry set I had. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I never did that. I was interested in the chemistry. He really is. I was interested in arson. <laughs> the amount of conversations that Pat and I have had, like walking up to the thrill is gone on viruses and bacteria is wild. <laughs> I'm like, wait. Yes. How yes. much bacteria is on the planet? <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. They've been here for a million, uh, I mean, a billion years, yes. some billions of years. Is there more bacteria than fungi? I think so. Okay. I mean, it kind of makes sense. There, but... there are probably more viruses than bacteria. Yeah. And they have been fighting each other. Forever. The same way we fight viruses now. Yeah. For, for a billion of years but um but that's one of the things i wanted to mention is when when i so i almost didn't go into chemistry because yeah. i thought I, I cannot stand possibly to be indoors all the time yeah. i loved climbing yeah. enough by the time i was going to decide what i was going to do in college yeah i Told them I was going to do either game management or forestry. Yeah. And so I got a scholarship for that. But I happened to go just on, and I was really good at chemistry in high school. And so why I, but I just didn't think I could be indoors. Yeah. So, so I, um, but I happened to go to a lecture that the chemistry department gave to the new students the first week before classes start. They, you go around at different departments and find out what they're doing. And as soon as I left the, the room, when I listened to what they had to say, yeah. their spiel, I absolutely knew that yeah. was what I, where I belonged. And, and I, and I, uh, I immediately became a chemistry major and yeah. never looked back. Yeah. And, and did they take your scholarship away? They or? did. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Excellent question. 
This seems like there was He's some, pretty sharp. Some, there was some a default sort of thing there. Yes, yes. yes. So, uh, I, so you chose they, chemistry and chose to pay. Obviously, you my, were uh, very interested. I chose to have my parents pay. Okay. Uh, okay. And yeah, I don't yeah. think they were too happy about it, but I, you know... Well, with the, I think with the career that you've had, it was a it was a worthy choice. <laughs> I definitely made the right decision. Yeah, and, yeah. So you have a pretty good gut instinct, is what I'm getting. You you had the gut yes. listening for climbing and the gut listening yeah. for chemistry. And I used that when I went to graduate school because so? I simply had no idea what I wanted to do there for sure. I the only idea I had was analytical chemistry because I was assigned an advisor who was a, a wonderful advisor and he was head of the ski patrol and I became a ski patrolman and all of that. It was He was a great advisor, but yeah. he was analytical and chemistry and so that's the only thing I knew about. Yeah. It, but when I got there, I again, used, I didn't know what I was going to be yeah. when I got there in graduate school. I just knew I wanted to go more deeper yeah and they had an analytical chemist who was actually interested in climbing but i i just didn't feel like i wanted to work with him yeah and and i and i was what turned me towards where where i ended up was just lectures that uh, that a physical chemistry um that a physical chemist gave to the first year graduate students that was they were so inspiring and informative and also the best young professor that you could possibly work for as a physical chemist was was um, present and taking graduate students and I don't really understand why he took me but yeah um, he did yeah. <laughs> and it was it was just excellent and he, he was just a, a very good advisor and very wise and just um, I felt like that was the best choice I could have made. Yeah. It's wow. incredible to hear about how you started in academia and how it was in the connection with climbing. And also now at this point in your career, you know, you have graduate students that you advise and occasionally some of them are climbers. Mm -hmm. And so then you have these discussions and, and Pat will have one of his graduate students out and they're out ice climbing together up in highlight. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes they actually work for me because I am a climber, but I wouldn't doubt which is that. not really <laughs> the reason they should be doing it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's all correlated. It's all braided yeah. together. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> The discussion I had with the professor I ended up working with was was quite a big deal. Yeah. Uh, it 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 changed my thoughts about the world because uh, he was doing he was a theoretician primarily, but he did experiments too. So his graduate students and I was in that category of being just mainly doing experiments, but because yeah. I. I didn't feel I was a theoretician at all, but I, but I, I was still smart enough to, to know math pretty well and and be interested in in the fundamentals. 
And but he said in my interview with him that he's doing calculations, pure calculations on the excited states of DNA. Yeah. And so that's how you get skin cancers when photons of light excite electrons and make them and actually can cause mutations in, in DNA. So it was a good thing to be working on. And that just changed my life because that was the first time I saw that maybe life itself can be explained by chemistry or understood in terms of, and, and still people are, are searching for that very first spark of or whatever kind of chemical reactions were going on in yeah. deep fumaroles in the ocean or someplace like that. I mean, it's still a, a big question. But it was the first yeah. time it had ever come into my head yeah. when he just said that. You know, it just, it just opened up a whole world for me. Wow. And this is um, when you were in grad school. This is when you were in the... Los Angeles area. No, that is no. I went to Seattle because okay. of climbing. <laughs> I could have. Wait, could've. wait, wait, wait. So okay. those graduate students that you were just bashing for picking you yeah, because yeah, of being yeah. a climber, you see what they're attracted to, right? Yeah. That same similar spirit, right? Yeah. What can I say? Um, the. Uh, I mean, I had climbed since I was in Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Where I lived. Um, I'd been to Washington to yeah. climb because it's, it was more attractive than going away to Yosemite or something like that. Yeah. I didn't even really know about it. And I had the choice of, so I sat with my advisor and we decided, well, maybe you should go, you could go to Berkeley. It's really a good school. <laughs> and but and I said, I wanted, but I wanted <laughs> yeah. to be near some mountains. <laughs> I said, and and so University of Washington, Seattle was was one of the ones, and Utah was the other one, and I, and so Washington is where I went. I just was gravitated there because I kind of thought the mountains were there, and it was the center of mountaineering. Yeah. In okay. 1960, uh, in 1960, that was yeah. the center of. Oh yeah. And, and that's why most of. Many of the 1963 expedition to Everest were from there. From there, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, and so it's, it was attractive. Yeah. It's the who's, yeah, yeah. That, that era of. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why I decided on Washington because, in a way, I was accepted at Berkeley, but yeah, and and that's, but I just wasn't attracted to, to go down there yeah. the way I was to yeah. Seattle. Yeah, and that was an arbitrary choice, really. But just and so that's like if if um, so I'm guessing this is the, the sort of the era where you met Dan Davis, and so if the first winter ascent of the North Face, the North Peak of Index, was mm. 1963, if I recall. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yes. You seem to. Ding, 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 ding. I, did you read my script or anything? I, I don't think you've seen it yet, but it's, you're, you're right on. Okay. When I started, I, uh, 1980. I mean, I, that was. I did it in 
uh, in the summer with a fellow named Dave Kahn, one of my mentors, and uh, eventually went back. Uh, I guess it would have been either that winter, winter of 80-81 or 81-82 with Andrew Nock and actually did it in the winter. Um, but it was like, you know, Fred had the his guidebooks. I mean, these guidebooks were, yeah. a dare I say, <clears throat> masturbatory material they for were, a young climber. Absolutely. Like, He's already been everywhere and done everything. And this is, and so, and that was one of the, I mean, when you see the, you know, the north, the middle, uh, and, yeah. and the other, yeah. um, you know, summits of index just plastered with oh. maritime snow yeah, ice kind of stuff. You're like, oh my God, this is, you know, it happens like two days out of any one winter every <laughs> five years or something maybe, where you would get those really, really remarkable conditions where you could go anywhere in the casket. Like, yeah. you'd like swing right. an ice tool and it would go, yeah. <laughs> and it would squeak, and, and you couldn't really protect anything unless you tied off bushes on index which there are a lot of <laughs> which there are plenty of <laughs> yes <laughs> um, and like to 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 see i mean they're just remarkably beautiful things that don't when they're plastered you know when yeah, yeah. when you see it in the summer and it's like oh it's steep heather <laughs> you know in some of these places or, or steep alder um and it, it just doesn't look the same and in the winter it looks yeah. almost patagonian in a in a way and so like that was one of those iconic things that I finally, I mean, that I did or that I had, uh, you know, that and the yeah. North Face, the, the, the Twin Sisters Traverse up near Mount Baker, mm -hmm. Andy, Andrew and I got it. Right. An, another winter day there of of just perfect, nice, yeah. or whatever it was. Anyway, so that I, I feel like, so 60, so you're 25 years old, essentially, at, right? At that time, let's see, yeah, about that. So it was, yeah, 63. So... We have to talk about Dan Davis. He, okay. Good. He, um, uh, I don't exactly know how I, I, I got to know him, but it was, it was sort of natural that I would run into him soon enough. Okay. And, and he was four years younger than me, and he was an undergrad and I was a grad student. But I, to this day, will say he was my, one of my most important mentors. Yeah. Because he grown up there and been, and he knew everything that had been climbed and not climbed and so i have to i have to say that i benefited more from his knowledge than he did <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's uh, it's the funny. truth i just got to be absolutely honest about this yeah. that he said one day to me I think we should climb the north face of index in the winter. Never been done. Yeah. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> but I didn't even know that. You know, I had no idea that it was... I had climbed it, the north peak with people from Portland, Oregon, the, the climbing club there, okay. and remembered what a nasty thing it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just continual route finding back and forth on ledges up through brush and everything. Yeah. And that was in the summertime. But, um, but yeah, I, I was game for that. And because we, we had already done some climbs together and we, we were very well matched. He was he was a very good climber and, and I was keeping up with him just fine. And, and, and so I 
this seems to be the way I've, I've done this a few times that he never didn't mention it again and I uh, but I was watching the weather yeah. and I noticed a whole week of high pressure just moving in and I said we should go <laughs> <laughs> and so we did yeah and and we're it was a three-day climb. We had three bivouacs, and um, and it was it wasn't very exciting in terms of an ice climb. I think he, darn it, got was the only one who got to actually use the crampons and ice axe, put in an ice screw in <laughs> one little gully that had a little bit of rotten ice in it. But it, it still was a marvelous climb. Good. And, oh yeah. And and. My poor wife, we'd only been married a fairly short time yeah. at that point. Two years. And and as the days wore on, sometime on the second or third day, she she asked Ed Cooper to go up and look for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. somehow, you know, he was part of the crowd that I... That I knew, and and he went up, and to, I I couldn't see anything. So so this is uh, I have it to make a tribute to my wife. She put up with this kind of thing for the whole time we've been married. I was going to say for a while it's still going on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but and Gail would climb with you when you were for, when you. Yes, that was the yeah. the secret to the whole thing. Not that I planned it that way, but <laughs> but I did take her on a climb, a rock climb, on our second date, Good. and taught her how to tie a bowl in, and we did a little rock climbing, and then and she actually did some good climbs. She was, yeah. During the time she, she we did the um, we did the um, the Exum route of, of Tetons together. And nice. She only cried a little bit. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but I mean, Gail oh, can hang climbing and drinking whiskey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so I mean, she was she, there was a bond there that good, and that was probably essential to the fact that somehow I could go away to China or to the Canadian Rockies and climb the North Face. Um, yeah, that same year, Dan and I started to feel like we were okay at climbing and uh, <laughs> alpinism. And um, mm -hmm. and so once again, Dan calls me up one day and says, um, you want to go to Robson? Mm. And he didn't mention any kind of route. Yeah. But we both knew what he meant. <laughs> 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 and... Then we went up there and and um, just sort of typical like I we didn't care whether we got to the top. At least I speaking for myself, yeah. I did not care. It was so famous, and just to be at the base of it was would have been the biggest thrill of my life. Yeah, yeah. And and we we were going up the Canadian Highway and tell people that um, if they ask, we we say, well, we're heading for Robson. And people, many people told us, it has not been climbed this year. There is so much snow up there. Forget it, you yeah. know. 
but I only had two weeks because my wife, uh, well, when she found I was going there, somehow she told her mother, who, <laughs> and, and who told her grandmother, and they both booked two weeks staying with her, Aww. one after the other, Aww. while I was gone. Yep. Because they didn't approve of the neighborhood that we were living in. We were residing in right at the time. <laughs> and so... That's funny. So we were locked. Yeah, and, two weeks. And of course, we were not such savages as we would just go off and pick off Red Becky's main goal in life, yeah. which was to climb the North Face of Rosie. We wouldn't do that. We we said we of called him up. Not. We called him up immediately and said, "Can we go with you to Robson? We we want to go to we Robson. We're going. Weeks. We're going to yeah. Robson, and, we, and we'd like to go join you." And and he says, "Yeah, but I got to do. Um, I got to go to the Bugaboos for a couple for a week yeah. with uh, one of the famous Canadian climbers at the time, Green." Brian Grew Greenwood. Greenwood, yeah. yeah. And and so, you know, he's he's got a whole summer booked. Yeah. <laughs> but we were booked too, because yeah. I had to be back in two yes, weeks. Exactly. Yeah. So after one week in the Bungboos, we we had a Dan and I climbed we climbed um, the nice routes on on um Bugaboo Spire and, and uh Snow Patch. Mm -hmm. And then said, "Sorry, Fred, we gotta go. I've got to get back in a week." And this is our show. We're going. We're going up to Robson, and he wasn't happy about it. He argued and argued, but he just had to do it. Yeah. So we went, and and then everybody said, "Well, there's no way you're gonna get up. You know, nobody has yet in August." Mm. And, and Fred had already tried it a couple of times. I think with Chenard once and somebody else, and, then, yeah. and well, they got the consolation prize on Edith Cavell, I guess. Yeah, they'd already. <laughs> I think they. Yeah, that's right. I, maybe they'd already done it at that point. I can't remember, but but um, so we go in there, and we find, and to make the story a little shorter, <laughs> that the only route that was available was the North Face. Mm -hmm. And it was it was August and it was cold. Wow. And and we could approach it and see that it was nothing's coming down. It's perfectly safe. It's cold. So we just do it. And we basically ran up it. Because it was I mean I mean we really went a thousand feet without without crampons, I think. Yeah. Whoa. It was perfect step Kicking snow. We had long axe, axes, so yeah. we, you know, it was basically that. And then we, and then we put in these long Austrian blade ice pythons, one one each for fourth class belaying after that. And it's incredible. It, 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 yeah. And you, it was kind of a downer. Many years later, we heard that it had been skied. This is a joke. This is what, yeah, Pat's giggling. This is a joke. We were like over at dinner at Pat and Gail's place and, and Pat has this really beautiful room downstairs with um, lots of climbing pictures and climbing books and a lot of history down there. And, and he's telling us, Travis and I, the story of Mount Robson. And, 
and traversing across the north face of Mount Robson and summiting and and we're drinking whiskey and Trav just kind of gives him this sly smile and looks at him and he's like so Pat how does it feel to know that people ski that right route now <laughs> so right Travis exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah I felt that way when I read it but I hear you the day we but you know what could I I can't complain. No, the it's how progression. that we found it, it was practically skiable. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, was, because I wanted to be reminded a little bit of that history last night, I was, um, I, sometime in the late, it must have been 87 or 88, I was, it was when John Bouchard had brought the paraglider back from oh, the Alps mm. and, um, and began making them. Uh, under a separate company, he he wisely understood that if he made paragliders under the Wild Things label, that if there was an accident, he would lose that company. So they should stand up another company to do it. Um, feral paragliders, and and he and I would go around and teach people how to fly, even though I could, you know, I was basically, you know, one day ahead of every student that we ever taught. <laughs> um, I end up in Vancouver with this group of extreme skiers. One of whom is this guy, Peter Chersnowski, who had tried to ski Robson multiple times. One of them turned into some big fiasco. Um, And along that trip, so it's Chersnowski, Dave Frizee, a couple of other guys whose names now escape me. And then I believe it's on this trip that I meet this kid, um, uh, Peter Spricenicks who eventually, uh, sometime later, and I'm trying, I can't remember now, is 96 or 98, somewhere in that time frame, is when they got up on top of it and he and one other guy made that first descent. And honestly, if Trav's saying, you know, you know that gets skied now, I don't think it's that common. It's not that common. And also, Trav would say anything to get a reaction out of you. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. It was was perfect. I'm glad it happened. But it would happen in the Alps all the time. You do like, okay, so you go up and do what you think is a pretty good ice route on the Pilier d'Angle or some other big thing in the Massif. And then, you know, and then find out like a year later or something that Tardivelle or one of the other guys had skied it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I guess, and then so we always had this joke is like, okay, you can, if it's been skied and you're a climber, you can only go up there if you don't take a rope. That's funny. (laughs) Because the guy had slippery things on his boots. Yeah, totally. And could do it. And he didn't have a rope, so. That's that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) It seemed the only only way. The only logic. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I mean, I think. You know, with all due respect to Alex Honnold, what these skiers do is is just as hairy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I. Yeah. Maybe more so. Maybe more so. Because they they don't always get a chance to practice ahead of time. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Yeah. There's not a oh I'm gonna rehearse this pitch with a rope on before yeah. I ski it or yeah. something. Yeah, that doesn't. Yeah. Right. I mean, but at least I mean, there's some of the guys have pretty strong. Um, belief about okay, I'm I, like Tardivelle never never drops in on something he hasn't climbed up. Yeah, that's um, right. And 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 other guys would, and most of 
them are not around anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, because you, you come up on uncertainty too quickly, I think, yep. yeah. is part of it. So quickly. It's incredible listening to all these stories and listening to these different experiences. It's amazing how everyone pings off each other or how progression happens or how the spirit of adventure grows based on what people have done before and what we see as possibility. You know, it's, I mean, you really do stand on the shoulders of giants that have come before you uh, and your peer group that push you along in these great endeavors. And it's one of the most fulfilling aspects for me getting to talk with Pat and getting to talk with Mark um, and with Travis uh, and learning the history of climbing and how people have explored and experienced this world. It, we, we have these ideas or these passions and we don't realize the impact that they have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well said. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, and there, you know, it's, it's wild to me sometimes when you think about like the people who were doing these things in, in, in ranges or whatever in, in an exploratory way that by virtue of it being exploratory, you know, people had not done these things before, yeah. let's say that, you know, when, um, Becky went up and they did the West Ridge of Mount Hunter. Yeah. You know, yeah. that is, yeah, it's in the shadow of the other one <laughs> yeah. and, and insignificant, if you will. But it, it, it really is a revelation. I mean, and, and to read about, you know, growing up, being a climber in the Cascades and learning about it there. I mean, obviously, um, everywhere you've, he's gone, you've, you might find a, you know, a wool blanket. Oh, my that, God, yeah. That Becky got at Goodwill and, yeah. you know, carried into bivouac in and then left it at the bottom. You, you know, definitely that. would find a lot of those out there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was no, I, there, there was a, he gave a, a, a slideshow at Kane Hall once and it's got to be sort of 82 or 83 time frame. And he had done so much climbing by that point yeah. that a picture would come up and he couldn't remember where it was. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, I bet. I think this, oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> this is, and it was like that for four hours. And, I mean, and, yeah. and we're just sitting, you know, fresh, young, eager climbers, like, ah, fuck, we should just not, it's already all been done, apparently. <laughs> it's, so, much, so much of it has been done, he can't remember it all. <laughs> yeah. No, that's like, right. Uh, which is uh, absolutely, and, and that's, then exactly that's I was gonna the say, early 80s and but this just when, keeps happening you know yeah. and people just keep doing more <laughs> yeah. it it seemed a, at a certain time there was a finite supply of for sure experiences to be had in the mountains but i don't think that's true yeah so fred uh to follow up on that a little bit he he was not very happy with dan and i, I, I oh yes, yes. Yeah. he um Especially since it took us like all day to do the northeast ridge of Bugaboo Spire, camp to camp. In fact, we got back in the dark, and he would he would say, "These guys, look how long it took them to do that." <laughs> but, They're sandbagging but, me. <laughs> but I kind of went off the off course here. He was not happy. And I would have felt a lot. We can we can move it. Uh, I I really would have felt a lot 
worse about it, except that... Um, you had such a great time. <laughs> well, it, here's what made it all, all okay. okay. I was... So Fred brought a lot of distinguished guests to Seattle, including Leighton Core. And Fred is a busy, was a busy guy in those days, and he said, Pat, would you mind taking some time off of your busy schedule and climbing with Leighton Core? And I said, oh, I think I can manage it. <laughs> and, I um, heard he's pretty good. <laughs> I took him over to... I have the same trouble yeah. remembering <laughs> things. Um, Snow Creek Wall. Oh yes. And and we went up, and Out, he outer he, space. Probably he took me up outer space. space. Yeah. And it was the best day of my life at that point. I mean, I learned what real climbers how they really climb. But on the way up, uh, he said, you know. That really wasn't very nice of you guys to go up there and nab that from Becky. Yeah. And I said, yeah, but if I'd have waited for him, it wouldn't have been climbed because yeah. they went up, he went up with Hank Mather and his party that he'd already been planning his yearly trip to the yeah. North Face. And uh, I may not have made it clear, but there was about a foot or, or more of new snow and it had been snowing all summer and nobody had gotten up Robson, Robson by any route, so yeah. it was just coated and but at, at one point we finally got ice after the snow was only a foot deep and we could put in ice screws it was getting a little bit more dicey yeah and um, so they got there four days later or something like that and it it all avalanched off mm. and it was warm mm -hmm. and they couldn't go yeah yeah so so, so when you were up the obviously you walk into robson and to get yeah. to the north face you you spy the emperor face yeah i noticed it <laughs> on the <laughs> way <laughs> <laughs> and uh you mentioned casually uh earlier um, that became a, a, a an objective in your mind at that point. It didn't. It, you didn't walk under it and look at it and go, "Man, that's impossible." Yeah, I wasn't very interested in it for quite a long time, and this is this is part of my. You know, it's a weakness I have. I think I don't always think of things on my own. Okay, but I saw a, a small bit of. A small note in a climbing magazine, uh, in where Chenard said the Emperor face is probably the next yeah. obvious big objective in the Canadian Rockies. Yeah, and that kind of I thought. So, um, you know who Gray Thompson is, yeah. right? And so he's a professor in geology, at, or was at the University of. Montana, Missoula, and you know, I had this, and I, I was spending some time today trying to figure out how he had, was such a good buddy of Hank Abrams, who was on the, in the party of Harvard students who did the first ascent of the Wickersham Wall. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Because Hank Abrams and his new wife, after he just finished med school, came to visit Gray Thompson. And I, and I hosted them over, I, I got them to all join me along with my, my local climber. And we, because I had a project over in East Rosebud, mm. um, which is, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know where it is, but it's, um, it's got beautiful yes. walls. It has Yosemite-like, miniature Yosemite walls. It's stunning. Yeah. That's, that's, okay, that's, it's common knowledge. That's, <laughs> how, that's why the myth came into being yeah, that we should never we you. should never publish anything Except, there's yeah there's like I, no Montana I, I told my buddies hey just keep this quiet yeah. Yeah. and I never meant it to last for 50 years <laughs> but that's all right as a policy but that's all right <laughs> but anyway I already had about three attempts on it way up this beautiful line but for some reason we I just took high school kids the first time and I don't know just, we ran out of time always mm-hmm. and so um, so Hank and, and and Gray and others other some of the high school kids went we went and gave it another try and we ended up bivouacking in a in a uh, I think that was the time we bivouacked in a in a snowstorm for a while and came back but 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 the Hank and I so I was doing research today trying to figure out why Hank came to visit Gray Thompson for part of a summer okay and I couldn't figure it out because Gray went to Dartmouth <laughs> and I got that straightened out anyway yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> but for whatever reason, he was there, and he wanted to go climbing, and and Gray wanted me to take him. You know, okay. would you mind taking him up to Canada to do something? So I said, okay, let's go to the. Yeah, <laughs> let's go to the last great problem. Exactly. And why not? Why not? It seemed obvious what to try. <laughs> yeah. So we made the first ascent, or we made the first attempt, and and we got to we got to a point in the approach where we got to the gully we had to go up to get into yeah. the face. Yeah. And there was just approximately like 50 rocks per second were going down. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. And we thought, yeah, I think we should go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I've told you guys, you all know this, but... uh Anyone who asks me, Pat got the first ascent of the Emperor's face. <laughs> I mess that up endlessly all the time. Mark corrects me all. He's like, no, Pat didn't get the first ascent of the Emperor's face. But now we know it was the first attempt. First attempt. That attempt, was the first ascent. attempt. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but literally for years, anyone, because I would flip-flop the North face uh, with the Emperor's face or the North side with the Emperor's face. And I'd be like, yeah, Pat got the first ascent. Pat Callis. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, he did it. Yeah. And it's... <laughs> So that was in 72, and then in 73, okay. um, I went up there with with Kanzler, and who is, is just an incredibly tough climber, very oh, yeah. good, you know, and, and we were we were well-matched as a party, and 
we got so 73 it was all covered with snow and it was early it was sort of in july so we didn't didn't do it um in 74 we went back and it was it was another one of these two-week things you're locked into yeah because yeah. i had to go back and teach or something like that so and he had a job and so we're about to hike in and people are streaming out of the place because it's been raining for two weeks solid and i said what are we doing here but we have nothing else to do so let's just go in yeah and and you get two in weeks, there i can't go get it back All right yeah. yeah so we go in and and the face was just plastered it was just beautifully white it was and the avalanches were streaming down off of it and we thought we thought Oh, well, it's pretty. Once the face clears, we should be good to go. <laughs> exactly. And I thought, well, I don't know. We Maybe it'll clear off in a couple of days. But it cleared off almost immediately. Yeah. It became apparent to us that it was covered with ice. And wow. we had been climbing ice, vertical ice, at Highlight Canyon for about... Um, three years at that point, and yeah. we knew ice, yeah. and and it all avalanched off, and it was just gleaming ice. And let's go. <laughs> and oh, oh, next morning, next morning it was still cloudy, except it was just fog. And at eleven, we realized, oh man, we should have gone, so we went anyway. <laughs> and, and, you know, we just ran up the up the mountain and and um, and did the the first the first cliff bend was was just a, a highlight ice climb and mm. wow he led it and we were done with that and then we bivouacked there and then just just a lot more ice and low angle ice and then bivouacked again and suddenly we learned that it wasn't all ice what looked like it was ice was was snow blown up under overhangs okay and the rest of the whole climb was that way and it was yeah. 1500 feet more and I, we, I think i described that once uh, as powder snow and temptation yes <laughs> well good. we totally got sucked in and we didn't even bring more than about 12 rock pitons mm. and yeah. we didn't bring any aid aid climbing gear at all and we and it took him like it took us three hours the next morning i mean we went like two thousand feet the previous day of yeah. ice and then and then we were just just slowed down to a crawl because we <sighs> didn't have yosemite gear yeah and it's a shame because we if we'd have taken that, we might have gotten up. Yeah. But we just, we saw we didn't have enough food. We thought we'd do it faster. And uh, yeah. so we had to just traverse. We traversed. We found a ledge. had a photograph. Yeah, this will go over, clear over to the north face. And we just go over there and climb down. And then climb down. And that was 75. That was 74. 74, okay. And what happened 75? Okay, that was the year that we... 
um, invited Jeff and oh, Mike. Yes. <laughs> All right, rope guns. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. the only good thing about that was we got to hang out and party with them. And then I spent another three days in the tent with with Jeff Lowe. It's because he and I were going to stay behind and go up, try to do. Um, there's a nearby peak, Robson, that had a beautiful looking face that okay. never been climbed and. We sat there for several days in the weather, bad, not good weather. So that was it was an unfortunate trip in that regard. But because uh, they would, Jeff and Mike would have done the Grand Central, not too. I think it was a year before. The year before, okay, or something like that. Yeah, wow. two years before. They would have been no, solid. We could have done it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we really had the, the, the Cause not knowing. It wasn't, I, I, now this is just memory, but was it 78? Moment, but and I should know, I know this. It. I know it, though. I should know this history. Yeah. I remember as we were traversing off the face, looking up and seeing what looked to be overhanging rock pitches that, Yeah. and indeed, they spent eight hours on one pitch up there. Yeah, I can almost think of the other guy's name, but I, it's just escaping me. Obviously, the first thing that comes up when you write First Ascent of Emperor Face into a search string is Marc-Andre Leclerc solo's Emperor Face. Yeah, 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 <laughs> That's of course. First thing that, yeah. 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 Okay. Which was incredible what? to watch. Jim Logan. Yep. Or... I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I was mad at those guys though they misspelled Kanzler's name, so I wrote a, I wrote a letter to Mike Kennedy about it, but he didn't do anything about it. K N because they spelled it K N K A N S. I can't even remember what the mistake was, but it was it was Chancellor, I think he yeah, said. Yeah, okay. Okay. The, yeah. Jim Chancellor. Chancellor. And yeah. I was I was annoyed because, his Jim was. You know, I was kind of his mentor, but he, on that climb, he was the man. He, we got in there, and he, he was all over the idea that, oh yeah, we can go up. I mean, I, I think I was feeling exactly the same way, but I had tried already three times, and I didn't want to screw up again, and yeah. so I wanted to take this, this, um, escape route almost you could go you could traverse below the the steep part mm -hmm. and find an easier way on up but it looked like it would be easier and you get yeah. more altitude and so that was so i had that and that was my idea but he he forced me and he found he was looking so carefully and saw the the this line through the so-called jaws yeah and like a drop of water from the summit yeah i mean it was i mean it was this young blood i was already getting to be a jaded old climber at that point and, and he he really made it happen that we got way up in there because he saw this line and it was right on and and um, we got way up there 
Wow. I, when I first, my first trip to the Alps, I went with John Krakauer, and he had gotten an assignment from Outside Magazine to tr- attempt the north face of the Eiger. Yeah, and, I read that story. And, and <laughs> he and I had, you know, become acquaintances in Seattle, and uh, I guess he vetted me well enough <laughs> um, to in, invite me to go. But I was, a, I, I don't, you know, as Scott, my, Scott Backes has often said, sometimes it's not ability, it's availability. Yep. <laughs> and I think I didn't have anything going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, then when I saw the North Face of the Eiger for the first time, I, you know, I tried to, you know, I'd read The White Spider. It was the first climbing book that, yeah. you know, was ever gifted to me. My mom gave it to me in probably like 78 or something. So I tried to put myself in those, you know, shoes of the time, you know, let's just yeah. say those early attempts in the 30s. Um, and like, it would never, I would like, go up there and look at that thing and it would never occur to me to try and climb it. Yeah. Especially when they were viewing it, the way they were viewing it as a, as a, um, as a rock climb. And yeah. I would think kind of the same thing about the emperor face. Like I just would never in a certain era. And if I would like, pro- could project myself back to the early seventies, um, before I started climbing, understood climbing. And I would see that and I'd just be like, okay, that's an, it's not a thing that, yeah. people go up on which i find the the sort of inquisitiveness combined with sort of courage maybe a little devil may care um to to to, to launch on these things i mean maybe some stuff that you know i tried to do later is it's it's similar but there were a lot of shoulders for me to stand on and there were fewer shoulders mm. in you know in in that era to be thinking well, like, wow, we could. There's a line there. But I had a naive thought about what that face was like because we had been doing some climbing in Glacier Park. Now in Glacier Park, you have big flat ledges mm-hmm. and then not such horrible vertical rock yeah. in between and. I was sure that was what it was going to be like. It was quite a shock to find out that... The ledges the were upside down. The ledges were 55 <laughs> degrees. The ledges were 55 degrees. And so the other stuff was overhanging. And yeah. it had snow blown up into it. It made it look like there was a, an ice face. And I, and I don't know if I would have gone up there knowing that ahead of time, but we just found it on, <laughs> by accident. In the process. We realized, like, oh, this is oh yeah, this is harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still very climbable. I mean, I was, I was, after he'd spent quite a bit of time getting just a fairly short time, a couple yeah. of pitches, um, doing aid. Then I went up another pitch and. It was decent. It was simply that it was taking, you know, it was like climbing rock instead of, yeah. uh, you know, you had to put in gear and, and it was it was just going to be a long time and we didn't have the food. The, the food, yeah. yeah. You've, mentioned, you've mentioned the uh, climbing in Glacier. So there was a, an event there in 1969. The second year I was here. And that was Jim's younger brother was yes, one of the yes the, the the 
climbers that was killed because they were trying to make the well first ascent I guess at that time of Mount of the north, north, north face of Mount Cleveland north face, yes and uh, mm-hmm. I don't know seems to me like winter's probably a good time because yeah loose rock is frozen in place let's mm-hmm. say yeah um, but uh, I, I mean I came across a photo at some point um, that uh, from you know camera of one of the the climbers that have been recovered much later and they were able to develop the film yeah. and sort of showed them uh, approaching. I, I imagine that at that time, the climbing community in Montana was pretty darn small. Very. And I mean, that had a tr- had to have had a tremendous impact on everyone who was not there. I mean, obviously the, the climbers who perished, but did, did, did things like did did climbing suddenly seem more irresponsible did it did it affect the climbing community in a way that people slowed down or or changed ideas about like oh what objectives are reasonable and what are not you know that so i'm glad you brought that up because that's certainly something i i thought was a possibility to talk about here yeah um so those kids I mean, in the all kids, five the old, of them. I want to say that they were the oldest was twenty two or something, or something, or there was the youngest. They were they like were that. early twenties. So they're, this, they're kids. Is this Terry? Did Terry Kennedy write a book on this? Yes, yeah. Terry yeah. wrote this book. Yep. Yeah, Mount Cleveland Five. Yeah. Terry was a high school student who who knew Jerry Kanzler as a scout leader. In um, the town that's right up there. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's right in the neighborhood of okay. of of the park. So we that fall, it's it's a lot more to this than you might think. The fall, it was unlike any fall Montana had ever seen for thirty years or something like that. It was the temperature was fifty degrees every day in Bozeman, mm. and sunny and very, very little snow. When we got to the, and and it was just in, and we went out with most of those kids. Yeah. Peter Lev yeah. and I. Peter Lev happened to be living here in Bozeman. He was teaching a mountaineering course for engineers. Wow. And two of the stu- students um, that were in that class um somehow melded into the the other climbers that were here, the young ones. And and we went, and Peter and myself and those young people climbed many things. We climbed the Mount St. Nicholas in the park, you know, in the wintertime, in mm-hmm. Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. One of my many... Um, <laughs> Vacations that I spent away from my wife. <laughs> um, okay, Thanksgiving dinner's over. I'm out of here. Yeah. And, um, but you know, we went up there, and this it, it was. It seemed like you could climb anything anywhere that fall, okay. and so that is partly why they wanted to go there. They thought. We can just continue this trip. Like, like the yeah, this this season of good conditions yeah. is just going to. And indeed, yeah. Um, and the and the neat thing was that this was their idea. These young yeah. people from Butte, 
the people who had actually been climbers, not the two engineering students. Mm -hmm. Those those kids had been doing first ascents in a place called the Humbugs, south of Butte. They were Butte college students. Okay, and I climbed with them. They invited me to go climbing, and I did first ascents with them and things like that. It was it was wow. really a neat year, and and Peter Lev was part of that too. And Peter just happened to be living here. He was he was the professor of that group of uh, those two students, and so they had the idea to do the North Face all on their own. Yeah. And wow. and one of the their friends from Butte came into my office one day and said, "So if you if you could think of any big face that you would think would be a really important thing that hasn't been done yet, what what would it be?" And and I actually didn't have an answer for him. I didn't say the North Face of Cleveland. Okay, <laughs> they thought of it themselves. Yeah, and so they went there. And they told the rangers they were going to do that, and yeah. everybody was. <gasps> the park ranger said, "Don't do that. You know that that's so that's crazy. Go, mm. just do the south west face, or do the south ridge. I think they was, I think the ranger was telling them to do the south ridge, the southwest ridge, and we don't know exactly what happened. That's what." Terry Kennedy wrote this book about this, yeah. but at some point we got the word that they hadn't shown up. Mm. They've been missing. They were missing. And so Jim Kanzler and Peter Lev and I went over there, and the park brought down the, the most famous of the Canadian Alpine specialists, names that everybody's heard of at the time. I mean, uh, the Canadians really did mountain rescue oh, yeah. in the mountains the right way. Yeah. So we had those guys down, and we had the and Teton Rangers came up. Um, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, George Lowe was there, and others like that came up, and we and they wouldn't let Kanzler and I and and Lev go there because we had a we had a personal, relative yeah personal relationship yeah, yeah. so yeah. they said oh, you guys go over and search the west face well we actually kind of thought that they would be at the west face because they they were there to commune with the face they yeah. weren't there to climb it really okay. they 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 didn't even think they you know it had to have been a, just sitting there perfect conditions to, to invite them up because they really weren't that experienced. Okay. But they were in love with it. And I know that feeling. If you're in love with something, you want to be near it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that yeah. applies, you might say. Yes. <laughs> that may sound funny. But, it does not. But uh, if it... it sounds if like the heart of being a human. <laughs> if you've got a climb, it's you're in love with and it's going to be really big deal. And... You will go there and just to be there. Just to be there and, yeah, and, and feel right. it. Yeah. yeah, I bet you've done that. Yeah. And um, so that's what they were doing. And then they saw tracks that looked like maybe it was them or maybe a goat's going around to the west side. And so as near as we can tell, 
I don't know how they, what route they took to the top, but it was on the west side. Um, when I got there, one of the, the brother, the big brother of one of the students said he'd flown in the area and he'd seen tracks going down one part of the face and then, and then there was nothing. And it, and so that appears to be what happened to say they, they descended the face and went over to a place that seemed like just a nice snowfield, but it was actually a big slab. And because it was, it, it's still, when, when Lev and Kanzler and I went up there, there was only that much powder snow at the base of this mountain. Oh. I had just come from the Los Angeles, <laughs> and I'd been in Oregon before, and there are no avalanches in this in Oregon. You know, it's just, yeah. just so the snow that is there is so cementy that nothing yeah. happens. Yeah, if it, if it hasn't slid in the first twenty four hours, yeah. then it's. But not this, I knew nothing yeah. really about the the Rocky Mountain powder, yeah. which is a whole different story. Peter's specialty, essentially, or became yeah, that so. was the ironic thing here is that Peter and Jim both were avalanche expert yeah and and, and the we first were avalanche course i ever took it was with peter yeah <laughs> of course in 1980 and yeah. and i so we were sent over there to just get us out of the way i was gonna really. say P peter and rod newcomb yeah it was the, yeah. yeah yeah and um so peter and jim and i approached the face and there was literally that much power snow. And and so neither of them or I, actually, I was more scared than they were. I, They started right up the mountain. I said, shouldn't we be over here a little bit out of the way? <laughs> but we had gone up a, a few hundred feet, and suddenly we were looking over to the side, and there's these big avalanche, these crowns. Yeah. That, and it became clear, oh man, there's been a big avalanche here. And it's 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 taken out the whole face. Mm. And um so we we camped far away up for the night and then went right down and looked at the debris and and I still remember as we were coming down we were the, some of the Canadian specialists were walking underneath on the trail it went around the mountain and they were going to go over to the southwest ridge and i said you should check out that debris down there and and, and the guy said that little thing <laughs> i mean the canadians there used to real avalanches so yeah <laughs> and yeah and so they just went on by didn't give it a look but we went down and looked at it and found a pack from one of the kids and yeah. and so so that changed everything, and yeah. and, and but we couldn't find them. Um, we were Peter and Jim and I were standing, probably ten feet above them on the snow at one point. But it, they were just so deep that they yeah. they didn't get found until the summertime. Yeah, yeah. I like. Uh, I feel like, if I remember. Reading, it's yeah, it was summer July or something mm -hmm. when somebody. Yeah, but it it was tragic in a way, and and what I what I really wanted to get to was that I came from a place where there, 
I, I, well, it wasn't even a worrisome look, that face, yeah. to, to these guys who, who lived in the Rockies for their whole life. So that was kind of surprising that, and it's not surprising it happened to them, but what was missing in our knowledge, or at least in what I learned from that, was there's a hell of a big difference between the 5,000 feet and 8,000 feet on a mountain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. After you're above timberline, yeah. the wind blows, there's slabs. We, I hardly knew about a slab. Yeah. Yeah. I learned a little bit of sea patrolling at Stevens Pass, that, but... Stevens Pass. <laughs> it's, it's special, too, to hear about this... Um, this tragedy. Um, I mean, search and rescue has been such a big part of our lives. And also, I mean, Pat's on this call and Terry Kennedy, who wrote this book, the Cleveland five. Mm -hmm. I mean, Travis, when he first started climbing at the age of 18, the people that he climbed with was Pat Callis and Terry Kennedy, who got him into search and rescue from 18 to 33 years old. And that was just such a tremendous part of our lives. Yes. You know, I wanted to, touch on that a little bit yeah. because um, at some point there was a there was a rescue that needed to be done for ice climbers who an ice, an ice climber broke some ankles and it's, it's really the only it's been the it, it turns out that was see that was in 1980 I don't remember when that was exactly, but like 1980, and it, and um, it was. It's still the only rescue that's been done with a litter. Yeah. For an ice climber in Highlight Canyon. Yeah. But uh, it 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 caused it was the nucleus of getting a, a rescue group, and so I. Okay. So I gathered together our. All the climbers I thought were sane, <laughs> and, and that was that became the Alpine Rescue Group, and and was that and went to to set something like that up in that sort of period. That's because search and rescue is typically the responsibility of the county sheriff, right? Yeah, and so you have to go, which I find an interesting relationship, <laughs> um, for, for, you know, because you, well, put a, a, you put a bunch of climbers around a bunch of cops and, yeah. you know, they don't always think the oh, same no. as each other. No, you, you can't believe what a great relationship it was. Uh, I mean, it sounds, I mean, especially... The, the law says the county sheriff is in charge of rescuing anybody who didn't get hurt on the highway. It's just that's written into the law of the okay. county. So probably the whole state. So highway patrol and whatever else is, if they're if, if they're on the highway, that's one jurisdiction. Then yeah. off the highway, it's yeah. county. Okay. Yep. And it's just the law. So they, and they already had a, a group of people that were specialized in water yeah. rescue, or uh, they had a thing called like the, the more common thing. Yeah, they had a thing just, called the posse. The sheriff's posse. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's the okay. posse. The posse originally actually used horses. Yeah. But, uh, I, I imagine. Some but they evolved to yeah. being to, to having snowmobiles. <laughs> snowmobiles, and um, yeah, there was a snowmobile club that and they yeah. were part of it. But the yeah. sheriff had these different. 
organizations that were specialized, and yeah. they would call them out as they needed. But there wasn't really one for high-angle rescue. Yeah. And since it became evident after the, sh the ambulance driver, the, the guy who owned the ambulance and drove the ambulance had hiked up to the, bro the, the climber who had fallen and broken his ankles and found that he couldn't get to him because there was 10 feet of vertical ice between him and <laughs> where he had hiked in his cowboy boots. <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> That's when the sheriff decided that we better get a different thing. We have a new group here. So because I I was in rescue, mainly in the Seattle area, um, uh, it seemed obvious that I would be the one to, to try to do this. In fact, the first, practically the first year I was climbing, or the second year I was climbing when I lived in Hood River, there was a, a rescue group there that, um, that some of the some of the members were were associated with the um, church that my father was a minister for, <laughs> and and so um, I got pulled into this club and and got into it there and then. And when I was in Seattle, I was part of that rescue group okay. too. I thought I might as well continue and. So nobody else in around Bozeman had had this kind of background. So I thought, well, I can do that. And but what I wanted to do is to not be like the Seattle Rescue Organization, which was massive. Yeah. And in my opinion, had nobody who could really go somewhere where you, they, you really needed somebody. In yeah. the Cascades, when I was there, they had the fart. What's the fart? The what? <laughs> the Fast Alpine Rescue Team. Stop it. I think that's what they called themselves. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> I just, for some reason, I want to say that my friend that is Reese funny. Martin was part of it. There was, like, there were some guys on it, and it's just like, Every, if there was a rescue somewhere, you yeah. know, like it's involving the mountains and the snowmobiles like bogged down in the forest. Yes. And then the fart would come along. Come on, <laughs> fart. I never <laughs> heard this. <laughs> what year, a good fart. What years were those? This would have been early 80s at some point. <laughs> yeah, long after I, I, I was here. Yeah, uh, but, it would have been. Like, but, I, but, I got, but this is pertinent. I always thought it was a fucking joke. And they're like, That's no, funny. we are the fart. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> But you see, I'm picturing their shirts like dare, dare. Do you know? But <laughs> that's how I'm picturing their fart shirts. But the uh, the organization that was there, in Seattle Mountain Rescue, it, yeah. it was a, a big group, and I was very good friends with the leader of it, who was an attorney in Seattle, and and um, there were many. An attorney, climber, mountain rescue, Seattle. Right. Maybe um, spent a cold night out on a on a tall peak well, in Pakistan once. But what Are what I learned talking about that particular lawyer. <laughs> what I learned was that if any serious rescue had to be done, there were these guys that got called. The sheriff called. Okay. Yeah. And. I never heard of them. They weren't famous climbers or anything. They just <laughs> could get in the mountains and get somebody out. Yeah. Wow. 
And I think they must have evolved into the fart. They might have evolved into the fart, yeah. <laughs> the Just the tradition was handed down. Or somewhere the sheriff must have caught on. You know, nothing ever gets exactly. done by this massive club. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. It's, and, if, if it's a technical rescue. That's I mean, right. I remember a few of those that happened where the where the big organization couldn't get anywhere. Yeah, no, and they were good for like, searching yeah. or... But yeah. they were just a big you, group of people. You need a small family yeah. to move in the mountains. I mean, that's yeah, like the connection. Exactly. Come exactly. on, if you want to walk around with a pager. Oh my God, I miss <laughs> yeah, the pager. Exactly. I miss the pager so much. Yeah, I mean, when Travis first had a pager, like that thing, if he left it here on accident, it would go off. Oh, I had no yeah. idea how to turn it off. I would like <laughs> fight. I would fight this pager so I intensely. Like, what turned it off? Finally, I would just stuff it under the bed mattress. I was going to say, put it in the freezer. That'll fucking kill it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, right. I good wasn't idea. that smart. I would shove it under the bed mattress. Would, see, so I brought this lesson. To hear, yeah, and I said, I want to be like those guys that the ones who got called after the other guys couldn't. Yeah, do right. I want to yeah. be like. Because I remember <laughs> walking through a whiteout onto the Baker Mount Baker Glacier one one of yeah. them because we were trying to get to to a woman who had been injured higher up on the mountain and and. It was a long walk, and we never got there. These other guys got there and got her out. Yeah. yeah. Well, she didn't make it, but it, yeah. was, it, was, it was a very cold time to have been left by yourself when you were injured. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the th when I was saying, thinking about the rescues, um, or one of the, one of the big rescues that uh, didn't happen with the large organization was right near there was... Um, on the north side of Mount Shuxon or something. I think it was, they were up near Nooksack Tower, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah. They, and the, uh, they had to get the good people to go get them. Yeah. After, yeah. after a couple, and, and, I, and the same kind of thing, I think they, do, I don't, and now this is so hazy because it, uh, it's a while ago. And, yeah. Um, but it, I, I think it was like a couple of days of trying with the big organization. Mm hmm and that was a couple of days too many. Yeah, yeah, for the the, yeah. the party involved. It's so, incredible what I um, hear. I mean, what the Alpine and Heli team has done on on oh, calls. Man, it's, it's incredible. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And but I I just set it up like it's only going to be climbers. Yeah, and they've got to be good climbers. They they don't necessarily have to be technically the best, but they yeah. got to have a head on their shoulders yeah. that. You, somebody you'd like to be with in the mountains, and um, and you know people with an ethic of I don't want to be a, become a problem. So right, yeah. So that's how it started, and and then wow. then I remember that's that fantastic. when I mean, when Spire, yeah, the climbing local climbing, yeah, gym started. Travis was one of the young people who. Who escaped from 
Manhattan and yes I, I'm not say, sure was he, was he living in the parking lot I'm not sure if Spire knows this but technically Travis lived there <laughs> <laughs> for a season he slept in his car in the parking lot of I Spire. didn't know that oh yeah I don't think that they do uh, and he would go he would work all day and then he would climb at Spire all night with Pat and Terry and then he'd take a shower because they had showers at Spire oh yeah right and then he'd sleep in his car in I, the parking lot I had no idea yeah but we know Terry and I caught on that that he was special. He's very and, special. And he asked us if we would take him climbing sometime. And we never did. Yeah. I don't know Assholes. why. We just never got around to it because we were just too busy doing our own thing. Sure. And, yeah. and we didn't think he could get up anything because he weighed... <laughs> 250 at his light? Yeah. Two forty at his light. No, I got I you, big boy. I don't. We didn't really think about it. It was just—he's big and he climbed beautifully. And and we, he could handstand walk. He could handstand walk. Yeah, I mean, anyway, we we were not on it. And <laughs> no, actually, Pat was but, just afraid of belaying him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so, so at some point, um, at some point. It was a going away party for one of the climber, one of the rescue people, and and I saw Travis eating the, the food with Blair mm. all by themselves, mm -hmm. and Blair is so attractive that I couldn't keep myself from going over and finding out who I actually thought you were his wife at that point. Thank you. And. I probably should have been by then. And, um, yeah. <laughs> At any rate, I just thought I should get introduced. And I, and I was, and I, I mean, I was just struck by how beautiful you were, actually. Thank you, Pat, very much. And um, that helped me to go over and join you. <laughs> <laughs> and I love you. And... Uh, so it wasn't so much long after that that I get this email from Blair and says, hey, Pat, why don't you and I and Travis go ice climbing? It's so true. Well, and I have to tell my side of it where <laughs> <laughs> when I, I met Travis in 2009 and then we started dating. I don't know how old I was then, but I was pretty young. And I had always been an athlete but for some beautiful reason, I was like terrible at climbing. What do you mean you don't know how old you were? You were 24. Thank you. I'm not good at math, man. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, yeah. And so I had been a natural athlete my whole life. And, and Travis was so passionate and loved climbing so much. And search and rescue was just his heart. Yeah. And uh, I would go climb with him. And I was terrified of heights. And I'm a pretty... At that point, I was still a pretty shy person and climbing, you're just like in front of people. And I just, it was just such an unnatural movement for me. And I felt ridiculous and I just didn't want people watching me and wanted to be private about it. Is there a private part of this I know, exactly. Is there, can, is there a place where people can wear blinders or something? <laughs> and, uh, and I was self-conscious and so shy. And one of the first friends I ever met climbing uh, was an incredible climber, an incredible person, uh, Justin Griffin. Oh, and yeah. he is just so phenomenal. And I don't know, somehow he just knew something about me. 
And I would be sitting, putting on my climbing shoes and, and he would always come and sit with me. And, and everyone knew Travis and in the climbing community, there was Travis and then there was Travis's girlfriend. And, uh, at some point I was like sick of being Travis's girlfriend. I mean, not really. I mean, I loved that. Yeah, yeah, I just had a name just, too. Just the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Justin would come and sit with me and we talk running and, and he was just for me, especially at that age, but at any age, he was so exceptional and so phenomenal that I really looked up to him and he went to Nepal in 2015 to climb Tawachi and he died. And I was pissed off. And I guess one of the things I learned in that process, I was sad and I was pissed off and I missed my friend and I didn't like seeing people I loved and cared about miss him deeply as well. And one of the things I learned in that process is that if I let my shyness take over or take control, I would miss out on knowing exceptional people. And I didn't want to live my life missing out on knowing exceptional people. So I don't know, three days after Justin had died, you know, this friend that I love, we go to the climbing gym and, and I think Pat and Terry are there and Travis and I go and, and I get to meet Pat for the umpteenth time. And, and I just like Velcroed onto him and I was like, Pat, let's climb together. And, and Pat was comforting and kind and approachable. And I don't know, I just naturally and easily connected with him. And so Pat and I climbed together for like hours that first night. You know, I just like tried to keep up. Like Pat is like unassuming, like he like walks up to the climb and he's like chatting, you know, and then he gets on it and it's like the most beautiful move. I mean, obviously, I mean, at that point, you know, he'd been climbing for almost 60 years or for 55 years, whatever. And to watch him climb is just so beautiful. And it's, it's easy to look beautiful in a climbing gym. <laughs> I mean, ice climbing too, Pat. Come on. So, so Pat and I climb for hours together, and and he his warm up is like my is like my crux, right? Like he's like warming up for two hours, and then he's ready to start climbing. And I'm like, dude, I can't open my hands anymore. You know. Good, you be the hand. Exactly. I'll he's be like, the man. He's like, it's time for you to belay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I did. I emailed Pat and uh, asked if he wanted to go ice climbing. And and I think about these like lessons that we learn. And and Justin died, you know, seven years ago now. And yet, you know, he has this tremendous impact on my life because he gave me one of my best friends, who is Pat. And, and unfortunately, I didn't get to share days with them together out in the mountains, but in a way I do. Uh, and that's how I got to be friends with, with Pat. And, and that first year, I mean, Pat, Travis, and I climbed together almost every weekend up in Highlight. A lot of times, and, it was, and they were just fun outings. I, I just oh. enjoyed them so much. In fact, they just be, I think I was going through a kind of a, a low spot in terms of how much plumbing I was doing up there and and uh, it sort of gave it, it rejuvenated my climbing up there oh yeah we've and and <clears throat> I appreciate hearing that and it's something that we talked about I mean at that point I mean I think that Pat was 75 or 76 then and literally I mean like he was our rope gun every single weekend up in highlight and we I mean I watched Pat 
climb the Thrillist Gone. I watched Pat down climb the Thrillist Gone because he didn't like the top of it. And if it's okay to share, I mean, one of the things Pat wrote to me was like how fun our outings were. And, and one of the special things was he felt needed and, and he very much was needed in our lives. Um, one, just for his heart and spirit and, and the way that he sees the world and the way that he saw us. And then you add on top of that, he took us on these absolutely incredible adventures that we, we got to experience with him. And I would just say, who better in a way? I mean, I can understand that in 2010, 11, 12, yep. 15, 16, whatever, yep. the, this, this period that you might be experiencing somewhat of a, a lull in your interest in highlight because you've been going up there since... Well, 1970. Well, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was in one of these places where, you know, just even doing vertical, smooth ice is, is really not that much to it. Yeah. And um, point. And um, as Alex Lowe famously said, when we got to the top of, of. Um, Black Magic. Oh man, I've been th- trying to think of the name of Black Magic this whole podcast. The first part of it's five ten rock, and then, but then except the, the occasional year when it actually touches. Boy, I, I've never seen that. <laughs> but then the not bingo world. The rest, the rest of it was. I also know. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. If you're looking at Bingo World, Black Magic on is on the other side. Yeah. Way to the right. To the right. Yeah. But it's on that same. Yeah. I might have to send you a photograph. Oh, yay. Yeah, anyway, it, <laughs> you have to do quite a bit of 510 climbing to get to the ice. Yeah. And and um, I did it with Alex. Alex was his idea, and we, and I was the, I was just the belayer on the climb. <laughs> and, and, but he got it. I was worried about the vertical ice uh, yeah. because we were still using ancient tools. <laughs> I just, I just remember being down at the bottom and hearing him when he got to the ice, saying, "Oh, this is just plain old vertical ice." <laughs> like it was nothing, yeah. and it was yeah. nothing for him. But it w- still wasn't nothing for me at that point in, yeah. in time. I, but, I think it's it's wild, sort of the, the you know how things happened in highlight with the presence of certain personalities like big sort of you know sort of period of development and then um and then it feels like it you know there's a bit of a lull and then you know oh we discovered cleos and then oh there's um you know or or new energy came in to you know when because i want to say that i don't know if I can't remember what year it was, but after Alex moved up here from Salt Lake, like the, the the Salt Lake period, yeah, you know, was really cool with him because he just instigated. You know, when he was working at Black Diamond, he instigated so much. Yeah, such a force. Um, and he would just, and he, he would be almost like, I mean, dare I say, he would almost be like Fred Becky in that regard, where he would just tire out partners, <laughs> and somebody would have to tag out like, "You fucking go with him today, man. I'm, yeah. I'm done." <laughs> and, right. And I feel like that that you know he he, he got here and kind of. In, Injected new energy in a in a way. Oh, that... absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that. Um, just get back to um, yeah, Travis and. Um, I I was necessary because, 
Travis was afraid to lead ice. Yeah. He was afraid his weight would cause it to crash down. Yeah. And he, he really didn't want to take the chance, and yeah. I, I agree. It's probably was smart. Um, and, of course, um, Blair hadn't done any climbing to speak of, so she could, we weren't going to send her up on the sharp end Why of the not? rope. Sharp end. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Here, when you get to a spot where you do think do, you guys? Can, you put the twisty so, thing in. Yeah. So on that first day that I, <laughs> after her invitation, that we went out. Did to, we do Alpha and Omega the first day? We went out to Alpha and Omega. Yeah. And, <laughs> and um, so first, Travis led the one on the right. Whoever knows which one is which. I never and remember. And who cares? <laughs> and, um, and you were blamed. I blamed him. Yes. Yeah. And so he, he, uh, he climbed it, and then you lowered him down, and, and then I came back. I, I came over asked. to you, and I said, would, would you, since you've belayed, you, you should uh, have the next, you can climb yeah. now. She says, no, I just want to chill out for a while. It's so terrifying to lower Travis. <laughs> it was so terrifying, right? I mean, you guys know it's an ATC, right? Travis has, at minimum, 100 pounds on me. You know, it was a workout to lower that boy. That was, that was the and funniest I would, thing. I, I would just think heard. heavy. Think heavy. And sit, what? Sit back. Sit back. Put and, a kink in the rope. And whatever <laughs> happens, like, I will let... I will bleed to the bone before I drop this boy. Oh, yeah. You know? And I would be yeah. pouring sweat lowering Travis. And yeah. Pat is like, Pat, okay. I told Pat this, and he died <laughs> laughing that I needed to relax after belaying. When I looked at her more closely, I could see she was absolutely ashen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now, you know, it's hilarious because I like lower normal sized humans, and I'm like, oh my god, this is so easy! <laughs> wow, yeah, and I then did. you went over whatever's on the left, you led, and, and in classic Pat fashion, let me see if I get this right. He does like one, two, three screws kind of near the bottom, then no more screws until the top. Yeah, the ice wasn't that good, yeah. <laughs> but. No, I, I was quite proud of my lead there because it, was it wasn't beautiful. wasn't that I was a little worried about it. And, yeah, and it, it was it was early in the year, and but you took the most beautiful black and white, or yeah. you took the most very nice photo. I still have it hanging around my office. Thank you, Pat. Yeah, that yeah. was the that was the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's so many adventures. I mean, I've watched Pat climb so many different things. Like I talked, we talked about the thrill is gone when you climbed that and then it was really bad at the top you're like well i think the best decision here is to down climb it so then i watched pat down climb uh the thrill is gone <laughs> well i don't think i was very far up it like that's figured one, it that's wasn't gonna work at it. It. Yeah. <laughs> but at any rate yeah and no, then I... there was this time and i've watched pat i mean i've watched pat lead the good looking one a lot and um, scepter a lot and scepter's wet water ice five or whatever mm. and um there's this one time we we climbed the scepter and, and pat led it and and travis had set up a, a rope on the side for me um so i could photograph pat as he climbed it and that photograph 
Yeah, and the endurance manual of nonprofit it was taken. Then uh, is taken on water is on t- on scepter, and uh, I'm just so. I mean, Travis is the instigator behind all of that because I'll easily just go into the activity and be like, I don't need to take pictures today, and Travis is like, No, we're gonna do this, and uh, he set it all up for us to do, and then I get to be like up on the climb with Pat, which is just in- and and to watch Pat climb, I mean, he's so happy. It's like incredible to watch and he's climbing, you know, the scepter water ice five and he's leading it. And, and by the time, like he sees me with the camera and he's like smiling and he's giddy up there and he climbs it and, and Trav climbs and we play around for a while and we clean up and, and at some point a party walks up and, and they watch Pat finishing the lead and, and coming down and, and Travis ends up telling the group, he doesn't tell Pat this until we're walking away, but he tells the other party that walks up that Pat's 92 just to fuck with them, you know? Because <laughs> yeah. this, this group like Now it's Travis this... just, just got to come back every year and set the age exactly. record on this route. <laughs> exactly. This like group of men walking up. And they up, believed him. And they look up at the scepter and they're like, you know, they're a little scared of it, you know? And Travis sees them and they're like, whoa. Like, who's that guy? And Trav's like, that's Pat. And they're like, how old is he? And Trav's like, he's 92. You know, just like dead face. Like, he could just do that. I just climbed it last week. Of course you did. And and it felt the same. Yeah. I, But, you know, he would almost be right about it. Yeah, you're getting closer. <laughs> 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 yeah, 84. Wow. Uh, you know, it's incredible. I, you know, thinking about that, I was, you know, like if I look back, I came across this picture the other day um, of myself sitting with Kurt Cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, it must, that must would have been 83, winter, so February or something, 83. And uh, I'm looking at those ice tools. I'm like, this fucking pterodactyl yeah. that I had. He had a... A hummingbird, a low hummingbird, and and so I look back at that and think about the tools that I started climbing with, and I think I've seen a huge trajectory in ice yeah. climbing tools, but, but not comparatively. <laughs> let's say I'm just like, oh my god! Okay, I mean, you're talking about okay, we had these long ice axes on the north face of Mount Robson in '63, and I'm like, they were wooden. <laughs> True, they, they were. I mean, I had a wood one at some point, but so, not even bamboo, you know, which was oh my very God. high tech. When we first started climbing with Pat, he had this like old yellow jacket from who knows how old. He finally got a new jacket. But Pat will invite friends who have never ice climbed before. And Pat will be like, I have gear that you can borrow. Don't worry about it. Like, just come on out. And so this one day, Pat invites this friend. I don't remember who he was, but he had never ice climbed before. So Pat pulls out these crampons. I don't know what they were, but whoever we were with were like, uh, did you use those on the first Ascent of Robson, dude? And Pat will outfit his friends in this older gear to go ice climbing. This is how you start, because this is how I started. I I mean, it's... No, I think those crampons I gave him were actually Chenard's first platform crampons. Okay. Yeah. Not yeah. that bad, really. I'd yeah. still climb with him. Yeah, you would. Yeah. Yeah. So, not a pair of SMC rigids <laughs> with, like, straps and such. <laughs> I mean, I... Because I... Well, I, I think I have a pair of those somewhere. Yeah. I, I, I imagine so. I, 
I have this, you know, some section in the file cabinets of all the old slides where because I would, would climb by myself a lot and then I would come back and then maybe people wouldn't believe me. Yeah. And so I would have to take pictures generally of my feet, <laughs> you know, looking down a face with, you know, right. landmarks yeah, in the yeah, background yeah. or whatever. And, uh, and I came across something the other day that, you know, and, oh, it's a, okay, there's white coflax. There's a pair of SMC Rigids, you know, this is 1984. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I must have had, I'm pretty sure I had a very modern Simone Chacal at the time Ooh. in one hand. Yes. Maybe a Barracuda, but, but, uh, but it might have been a carbon fiber Barracuda. You know, I can't remember what, you, you know, that was, yeah. would have been 84. Yeah. But yeah. like thinking back of all the, this evolution of tools from... Yeah you know, barely curved picks to reverse curve picks to steep, you know, like the pterodactyl was, I'm sure it was fully appropriate for Hamish McInnes, you know, in the, yeah, the area, yeah, right. you know, for that type of climbing. And then, you know, stupidly, we try to adapt it to waterfall climbing and everybody has, you know, that I know from that era is yeah. bad knuckle arthritis. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it was almost a tool designed for to make that happen. Really short yeah. pick, short shaft. You know, you're just like, things have, things have uh, I, I imagine a modern tool these days for you just feels like, why couldn't this have happened then? Yeah, it's it's odd that it took so long for somebody to think, you know, when you when humans climb, they do it this way. Mm -hmm. They don't do it this way. Yeah, don't put a kink in your wrist, man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I was I was really kind of slow to going to any new tool. I would always be about one model behind everybody else. But, okay, but. It really dawned on me that it was stupid not to to use a uh, um, nomic. You got the nomic, yeah. Because yeah. I realized the first time I tried one that my gosh, I don't get tired. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's I know totally. It was incredible to watch Pat use these new tools. Yeah, so. I was involved in the climbing industry when the whole leashless thing happened. Yeah. In the beginning, I was anti because, you know, you, of course, because yeah. I'm anti. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now it just, I was describing it to somebody the other day about like how that shift happened. And he goes, oh man, people must have been falling off stuff like right and left. And I was like, no, no, it didn't happen like that. And and then I think back about all the stuff that we did to counter the fact that we were cutting off circulation to our hands yeah. and we were smashing our knuckles, you know, right. like with, okay, so I use mittens and I leave the mittens in the leash, but I put padding in the mittens. So they're like, kind of like boxing gloves. <laughs> and, you know, and then when I place gear, you know, after place gear, I pull my hands out of the mittens. They stay because they're, you know, yeah, wrapped around right, the tools yeah. and they have leashes. And I was like, man, we, did, we figured out all of these workarounds. Right instead of inventing new tools. And then somebody invented new tools right. and a new idea about it. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I don't need mittens anymore because I can drop my hand and shake out all the time. I'm not cutting off circulation. Right. And, and yeah, it's... so I recall, you know, my sort of anti, you know, nature to it in the beginning. And then 
and then looking back on it, whatever that is, twenty, you know, it's twenty years because that was the early, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it was like two thousand two ish, two thousand three, sort of the, when the. I'm guessing I can't it's somewhere yeah, around there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I look back at it and explain it now, and it just makes so much sense. But at the time, it didn't. It made it didn't make sense because we were wed to an idea. Yeah. And 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 not willing to. And in in the discipline of climbing for long enough that we weren't. Um, uh, that, that we weren't just. We were yeah. no longer searching for. Yeah. solutions yeah we yeah. were making you know we got to that point of like we found our solutions for this thing and we were making do yeah and i i think like if it had happened for me five years later or ten years later i would have been at a point in my life where i was taking myself less seriously or something yeah. and and i could have been more flexible in the moment like and got like oh that's a really good smart idea yeah, let's yeah. go with this yeah. yeah i know what you mean i Oh yeah. I would two or three years past everybody else when they went to leashless. I was still mm -hmm. using my leashes and 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 Terry Kennedy. I I don't know whether he's quite there yet or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. He's close. That he is, is close. hilarious. He is close. Come on, Terry. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's but, uh, fun. I mean, but you know, it's. It's amazing. I try to explain to him. Look, up at G1 during the Ice Fest, they have hundreds of people who have never ice climbed before. They give them leashless tools. Nobody has ever dropped one yet. Yeah. 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 It's true. Yeah. 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 And I keep wondering, why? when am I going to actually drop a tool? But it and doesn't is it, happen. Is it, is it true that like modern picks don't break? Well, I've I haven't broken one. I don't know about that. I don't that. climb enough to have a. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I'm kind of asking facetiously. Cause yes, I'm, I thought like, you were. Um, it, it, because there was there was a point when you know working for an ice tool manufacturer and you know, yeah. that we came up with the first you know sort of like picks were six millimeters thick essentially at that point. And the Gravel Evolution pick was the first one that was like four millimeters or under, and it was very narrow from top to bottom. Yeah. And I remember one trip in the Canadian Rockies with Barry, I can't I'm just going to say it's probably 93-ish time mm -hmm. frame, something mm -hmm. around then. Um, and I think we, between the two of us, we broke 13 picks in three weeks. Damn. And wow. So... And for, so for me, it's, it's like I would, if, especially if I was going soloing, I mean, I always had four, t I had two spares. Yeah. You know? yeah. In the beginning, it was just one, but yeah, then they yeah. were snapping so constantly um, <laughs> that, 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 uh, that there was more. And, and then last year when I went again for the first time in 10 years or whatever with, um, because I got inspired by somebody and linked up with Scott. And I'm just like, dude, you, you only have two tools. And yeah, <laughs> and he was and like, was, yeah, yeah. It was kind of a revelation for me. It's very Aww. weird <laughs> to to go out with, because because stuff. I mean, things back then they just did yeah. used to, you know, not survive. Right. It's just you really couldn't afford to hit rock ever. Yeah. 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 This isn't I, this isn't gear. Um, because we shouldn't talk about inanimate objects as if they're you know. 
just because we fetishize them, please. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's also part of what yeah. makes the mountains accessible. So it is important. Mm. This isn't gear, but it's like talking about like the longevity and and Pat's um, time in the mountains, and and having gotten and fortunately having gotten to know Pat over the years, it's fun because I'll get to know a little bit more every time I talk with Pat. Mm. Yes. And it's and it's been so incredible to hear some of the different stories. And then it's fun, too, because, you know, that um, spirit of being in the mountains. I remember one of our mutual friends like talking about he's like, I don't think anyone's ever done this before. I'm going to climb up Black Mountain in Paradise Valley and I'm going to do the traverse all the way over to Cowan. And I was like, oh, Pat's done that. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, Pat's already done that, man. You know, and that's because, well. And again, the longevity of Sporter. Um, I mean, Pat is an incredible climber. And also, I mean, he's been running for so long. I mean, Pat's done the Bridger Ridge Run. I mean, Ridge speaking run. of traverses. Yeah, speaking of traverses, the Bridger Ridge Run as well. I mean, Pat has done, I mean, how many, 20-something times, Pat? Yeah, 22, 20, 20, I think. 22? I was going to say 22 or 23. I read 23. And, oh, to, perfect. Today. Nice. Yeah, there we go. Yes. I've forgotten. I, I've lost track. <laughs> yeah. You look at a slide. I can't even remember exactly. where this was or how many times I've done it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, our friend is like, I'm going to do this thing that no one's ever done before. I'm like, oh, Pat's already done that. And um, Which is a, yeah. that to me is a kind of a wild thing when you, like it's, it's and I, if, keep having this conversation about how we've been bad stewards of climbing history or mm. of mountain history in the sense that we haven't been as, I mean, maybe things are recorded accurately when they're done, um, to, but, but not communicated yeah. well mm -hmm. to new generations of climbers. Yeah. And so it's easy for that mistake to be made. I'm going to yes. do this thing. It's got, it's so rad yep. that for sure no one's ever done it. <laughs> yeah. 1963 man <laughs> yeah you know or or, or whatever or whatever it is it's it's like our elders yeah in a way yeah. our predecessors i mean if you just just I, I did this i had this project for a while with gravel where i was like mapping out the history of climbing but in parallel with world history events that were happening at the same time but also the gear like technological oh, developments yeah. And um, and just going back and reading through things that had been done, you're like, wait, yes, Messner and Hobbler did the first alpine style um, uh, ascent of an 8,000 meter peak uh, on Hidden Peak, but Deanberger had done a really lightweight expedition to Broad Peak, you know, in the early 50s, yeah. where you know they weren't using sort of the siege style thing. And if you look right, at yeah. you know some ideas of like, um, okay, the Willens box tent on the southwest face of Everest, or like how things were like unimaginably difficult, and we tried to overpower them with technology in some ways. But there have always yeah. been sort of some outliers who are like, yeah. eh, maybe, maybe we could put a pack on and go there i love that yeah and it's and it's really remarkable to me and and, and so, so i think in, in in the sense of of communicating history in a way that it's important so that people don't mistakenly view themselves as more remarkable than they actually are but also so that so that the, 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 the evolution continues instead of being repetitive like yeah. like people yeah. repeating the same thing over and right. over again and, yeah. and then obviously there's the respect for the um 
you know, everyone who made what is happening now possible. Yes. I think it's very important. And, and Pat, you've been, I mean, we're approaching 70 years of climbing for you. What do you attribute or what's something that you attribute to the longevity or the passion that you've had? Well, as you may have alluded to earlier, there was a time when partly because I was away for a year and didn't climb so much. Yeah. Well, what I didn't add to that little bit was that what happened was so important in retrospect that I contacted this person and I became part of the local climbing community. And this guy was an excellent ice climber. He was better than I was then. And even though he had a hummingbird tube ice hammer, he was excellent with it. <laughs> he, he just knew how to ice climb. And he couldn't rock climb very well. And so we went to the gunks fairly uh -huh. often from there. It wasn't like, that far. I know someone like that. <laughs> he enjoyed, so he took me up the ice climbs that they, the few that there were there. Um, and I, I, I thought I was a good ice climber because I had been climbing in highlight, but he, yeah. he was better. Yeah. And it was more that he just was comfortable on the ice more yeah. than I was. And, and um, I was, it was a great pleasure for me to go to the gunks and lead him up rock climbs. Oh, I'm sure. He was, yeah. he was weak at rock climbing. <laughs> so we... we uh, I'll just say, Danini always said that about me, and he wasn't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. But anyway, that, I mean, that was such a, an important part of my stay there, which is something I did not see coming at all. Yeah. yeah. They were such good friends that I invited them out here, and we did... The Ithaca connection. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A uh, yeah. rock climb that that um, two or three of the people that I had climbed with back there nice. were in on. Yeah, and my son was too, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And it was, and I had thought I would not do any climbing while I was out there, and but I think I would have missed something that was so important just having these friends that that I could can, you know be with they were just like the climbing friends here yeah and it's wild like the the uh, I mean I find that the, the culture of climbing within you know sort of the localized area is different you know like if, hey if, yeah. if you're a nice climber and you're out west yeah you know the Colorado scene was very different from sort of Utah um, was different from the Canadian Rockies because shit's just bigger up there. <laughs> it was very, is different from New England. Yeah. And they're really fucking good people came out of New England. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and got people who were, ended up being really good in the mountains because they, you know, living sure. in New England, they fucking knew how to suffer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's send, important. Send a yeah. guy like, you know, D Dave Roberts to Alaska, and he's just like, yeah, it's colder back home. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I suppose. Right. And, and the, so the, the, um, 
these days, you know, highlight and this area is, you know, quite known for the ice climbing. Yeah. And that really basically started in the early 70s, right? I mean, like... Yeah, in the fall of 71. Mm-hmm. I was here for... I wanted to mention this. I was here for... I came here in 68, so it was almost three years or something like that 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 we were searching around for ice to climb because Chenard so had provided us with tools. Yeah. yeah. And we were yeah. modifying our own tools by bending the picks and things like that. But And we wanted to climb steep ice, but it was virtually impossible. Um, and then the tools came, but then we didn't find any ice. And we had no idea. We had no idea there was that ice up highlight. So because much ice. There was no ice in the Madison to speak of, except about 20 feet that we found once and climbed on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it just didn't seem like, well, it's just another valley. There are no ice in the valleys around Montana. And, and But the, the real thing was simply that in order to, the road wasn't plowed, so. Yeah. So you wouldn't be able to get up there when there was ice. Yeah. yeah. And that's basically why we didn't know it was there. But yeah. one day my department chairman said, let's go for a ski tour up Highlight. And so we were able to drive basically that particular time to the lake or somewhere close mm-hmm. to the lake. And so we skied in there and there it was. Yeah. All of it. So and that was after... That was in seven, the fall of 71. It's so incredible. And I remember reading through a list. I was like, I had this like, well, I base a lot of my own goals off of Pat, let's be honest. <laughs> right. You know? And so I had like had this idea. I was like, oh my goodness, what if I could um, climb all of Pat's first ascents and highlight? Like that would be such an incredible experience. And then I read about black magic and I was like, mm, maybe I should reevaluate my goals and or, or <laughs> yeah. tackle taking a 25 footer off Cleo's. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. I just, I, my, actually my favorite part about that story is like the, 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 the very modern new ice tool, you know, broken, thrown into the talus and never found. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm glad you came back to that point because um, he was using the, the modern, the very top of the line ice tool, the hummingbird. Yeah. yeah. And basically it had a, um, it was a tube yeah. for the pick. Yeah. And but then they made but um, Low was making a whatever was it, it was like a I think it was the elephant pick it was like a rev, it was whatever his version of a reverse curve pick yeah I I don't also, even I mean, remember that one but I I just remember that it was very easy to have these two things pop out and <laughs> and, and so just a, a funny highlight or a sidelight to that is that when um, Jack was, you know, when uh, Joe Josephson was introducing Jack Tackle to give a talk at the Ice Fest, he says that, so Jack was in on the first ascent of Cleopatra's with yeah. Pat Gallus, but Pat actually did the first free ascent. <laughs> 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 and boy, Jack, 
leaped to his feet and says, don't you know that all ice climbing is aid climbing? That's funny. That's hilarious. The man we know and love. Jack is so Absolutely good. right on. It's so yes. good. <laughs> oh, it brought down the house. Oh, that's awesome. This is something though that to know about Pat. So, you know, every fall comes around and Pat's like getting ready for ice season. I'll be like, Pat, how are you doing? And he's like, well, I loaded my backpack full of weights and I just did repeats up the little hill behind my house. Like Pat preps for the season, you know? <laughs> and sometimes I'll talk to Pat and I'll be like, hey, Pat, how are you doing? He's like, ah, my knee's bothering me a little bit. I need to do more vert. So then he'll go and he'll start hiking up the M or up Baldy, you know? And it's that spirit of like, you know, things are bothering me. What can I do about this? And he knows himself so well. Uh, that he knows when his knee is starting to bother him, he needs to go and do steeper hiking. And yeah. he goes and does it. And that's part of his training prep um, for Highlight. Oh, but yeah. I also want to add this to it. So I'm from Florida. I don't like to tell people this, but here it is. Uh, I'm actually born and raised in Florida. Hi. And, uh, so like we would go out and, on these experiences and Pat and Trav and I would have a great time. And, and hiking up has never been an issue for me. Hiking up, no problem. Ice climbing, learning. Hiking down, real big issue for me. Descent, descent has mm. always been a problem for me. And here's Pat like full sending. He's basically just running down the mountain, completely comfortable. And so one evening we go over to Pat and Gail's house, which is one of our favorite activities. And, and I think this night we might have finished a bottle of bourbon all together, all the four of us. Yeah. At, at least. At least. <laughs> I, we might have done car bombs there too. There was a couple the of car bombs came out. Florida Blair came out and we all partied. And so Pat is like, like an Irish car bomb, like, an, like um, yes. he, like you know, you take the oh well, I don't know. It's a Guinness, and you put a shot of some sort of whatever cream in it. Yeah, how did that get sh- to you in Florida? Is what I want to know. Oh, I mean, like because Floridas are equal opportunists when it comes to partying. Yeah, okay, yeah, they, okay. They I don't care. Yeah, I didn't, I There's not like this culture they know of, it all, of what to drink. It's how much. That's okay. Florida for you. Okay, I can <laughs> see how that sort of parallels with a little Irishness. Yes, and so Pat. I was just not thinking of a huge Irish community in Florida. Yeah, but Pat, Pat's birthday is St. Patrick's Patrick's Day. Day. So we did car bombs, which Gail drank slowly. And I was giggling because I'm like, or Gail, I was like, Gail, it curdles. And her response was, I don't mind curdles. I was like, you are a bad bitch, Gail. Like, that's impressive. So, So we drink and we have this wonderful time. And Pat decides to coach me. A car bomb is an explosion. <laughs> and a drink. Yes. It needs to be consumed quickly. Oh, yes. yes thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and so Pat's like, all right, Blair, I'm going to give you a lesson on descent in the mountains. We're in his house. And we're all pretty intoxicated. And Pat decides to show me by walking down a staircase. And he's like, this is how you descend the mountain. And yeah, he- well, they were just leaving and... and- we have a split entry house, so there's a stairway you have to go down just to get to the front door. Yeah. And so that it seemed like an opportunity. It was to, a great opportunity to teach me how to descend mountains properly. And I think that whatever advice you gave me, I mean, the next time we went out, my descent was much better. That's pretty good because I think I um, missed a couple of steps I and think might- <laughs> fell and grabbed the Grabbed the railings and fairly kept from crashing into you guys. 
That's the teacher I want. I don't know. Lessons learned while intoxicated. Exactly. Sometimes endure for a lifetime. Exactly. I mean, if you have a copy of Big Sky Ice, read the experiment. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, what I was trying to get across was you have to put all your weight on one foot and balance and then step forward. And then, you know, it's, it's not... You have to be the able way to she s- was doing it, which was sort of like this. <laughs> I would, he I just, Pat just enacted a giraffe movement, basically, <laughs> <laughs> which is very accurate. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but she got better. She I got really much did. better. Yeah. 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 So that would, I'm going to circle back because I think that sort of a little bit of the history and highlight is so it's 71, you do the Mummy One and Willow Gully or something like that. So the week after the ski tour that revealed the revelation of ice, then I, I called up Brian Leo who has been portrayed by Terry Kennedy in a photograph that he found someplace, this guy, um, as the Don Willens of Montana. (laughs) He's about that height and about that strong. Okay. And totally unassuming. and, And... I don't know how he's so bright to be able to climb as well as he does, but he just finds his way up stuff like like climbing uh, um, theoretically when it's wet. Terry Kennedy claims he did that. Yeah. Stuff like that. I know it's just, but I, I got a hold of him because he's still in high school, I think, or just... For some reason, he just so unassuming and and quiet, and yet he just is a good companion to have in, in the climbing. And so, I think the main reason in this case was his father had a jeep, so we could we could actually <laughs> get that. up there, rally the jeep up there. We could really get close closer to the You're ice, closer, yeah. And uh, we still had to walk away, but. So we took the tools, and it was, it was just so much excitement because we were actually going to climb some steep some ice, steep and, ice. And yeah. with the tools. And, and we just went to the simplest short little climb that it had a, it started out steep, but and then it was just low angle for mm. not very far. It, we didn't even do G1. I don't even know if it was quite in, in, in yet, but... But we were actually afraid of what it would be like up on the ice with yeah. ice ice pitons hanging from oh, you and yeah. stuff like that. So we didn't we didn't even want anything too challenging to start with. Yeah. But, and no kidding. Yeah, seriously. But, but as soon as we did that, then then we brought other people in on, and it was soon. This group of people led by Dougal and three other high school kids went up back there and did um, did um, uh, what, what's the name of it? So and it that, was custom. Like uh, my highlight experience, um, 
starts with walking from the dam. Oh, yeah. 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 Really? Could you, like, get even to there early on? Well, not that, not that weekend. Okay. Um, and so... Um, I kind of tackled still pissed at me for a day where we didn't, I didn't, I showed up with no skis. <laughs> and Chris Noble is a photographer, I think. Was that Chris? Chris might have been there. Anyway, and we went, uh, we, we had to walk from the dam yeah. to the thrill is gone. Oh, oh my And Tackle was like, I haven't done this since, you know, yeah. I became a conscious human being. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if you, if, if it, you're from the dam, you bring skis, you dumb. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah. So, but, so, so early on, it wasn't even the dam. You were starting from further down the road. Yeah. yeah uh, so when was that? Uh, I didn't know you. That would have been 94 or 93. Yeah. 94. Oh. Yeah, 93, 94. Is that Pat? Is that how you did you do the first ascent of the tusk? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Is that how you? And that's that's that was something that Tom Youngst noticed. Yeah. Up, so that's up a different way. That's up that's, a different way. That's yeah. just a thing coming off the north. Like just a or? just a not very long yeah. icicle off of um, Elephant Peak, Elephant which is Peak. right next to Blackmore. Blackmore, Blackmore right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's one of the most tiring days for so so little interesting ice I know, totally. ever had i'm like how did you find that then yeah. well he was just up there yeah. skiing of yeah. course he, as he's a skier so he's he saw it up there and yeah. said oh let's go there okay and but i maybe we should do that been, one i hadn't been skiing what wait long, yeah, Pat, no, you don't <laughs> like what really long approach for 30 feet of ice yeah yeah right it's kind of a jam. been there done that but i was the only one around that you know he he hadn't ice climbed at all but he just thought it would be a good thing to do and so we did it but I'm surprised you even know about it. I don't know where i pulled that from honestly <laughs> i think it's because because pat you know why actually it's because I base my athletic goals off of you. And so I had looked at your first ascents up in Highlight. Oh, yeah. And I bet that's how I found it then. Did you oh. do Champagne Sherbert too? Yeah. Yeah, I thought that so. Was, that, that was... I wanted to do that one for so long. That was a good one. We, you did it. I did I it guess... finally. Yeah, Jackson led it. And then I bought a brought a bottle of champagne to spray yeah. at the top. That was... Um, <laughs> that was neat. We, um, we spotted that, I think... After we'd gone in and look at um, at the the waterfall up there, what's um, Palisade Palisade Falls? Palisade Falls. So, yep. so we spotted it from there. What's so, our main tourist so attraction? Next, <laughs> That's funny. It's accurate. The, mess, the next weekend, we, we I gathered Terry and uh, his his buddy, um, um, who, whose name immediately is. I could probably. I think the only name I can always remember is Einstein. Any anything slightly less famous than that, I can't remember. I understand immediately. Although I will a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get this. Anyway, um, yeah. So we went and did that, and I love that one. It was, it was. I was afraid. I could not even imagine climbing the vertical part of that. How come? Because we had 
those oh, yeah. early tools. Oh, those those yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so impressive I ch- and beautiful. So I line. chimneyed up between the ice. Oh, that's awesome. It was a nice chimney there. Yeah. Got that's, us up the steep stuff. You could do that there, yeah. And then I let Terry lead the next the next pitch. So if you were to get a hold of his book about Cleveland the Cleveland Five. Five, yeah. He explains in there how, for some reason, Callus allowed him to lead the next pitch. And, and allowed. And, well, I don't know. I just no, no. It's it often how fair. it's remembered. Yes, yes. Exactly. no, man, your lead. I, I gift I, this to you. Ta-da. I just, I was, so, I was so dumb because he had hardly ever climbed. He 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 knew nothing about ice climbing. And it didn't look very hard. It was a little step up there, but but he came so close to falling off of that. Mm. And then he would have, as he puts it in the book, I would have taken out Callus, and history would be different. It would be very different. <laughs> it would be very different. Yeah, because I was yeah. just sort of standing down there. I don't think I was anchored. <laughs> it's <was> dumb. <laughs> it, it, I, but anyway, sometimes was, you know you do the these climbing. things though that are even yeah. though when you know better, you're like, yeah. ah, it's, nothing bad's going to happen here. Yeah. I don't need to. I don't need I to know. tie myself I, to this gigantic tree. This perfect anchor spot. <laughs> this perfect anchor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was, but that that is a nice climb. I love that. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's and it's a it's a beautiful approach. It's a beautiful climb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I love that one. Very nice. Um, Pat, is it okay if I share my other athletic goal off of you? I'd love to hear it. Okay, good. <laughs> so, Pat and I were like, we were we do Baldy at least once a year usually, which is like our local mountain. It's the yeah. altar, and uh, we run up there at least once a year. And, and one time we we're going up there, and it's actually how I found out that Pat had done that traverse in Paradise Valley. Um, I asked Pat if he'd ever done a du- double baldy because you know we're all weird here in Bozeman and everyone does everybody does double baldy you know yeah. I'm like Pat have you ever done double baldy before and you were like yeah when I was training to do this traverse in Paradise Valley and so then I keep asking and then I'm like well Pat what's the fastest you've ever run up um, baldy and he's like oh we're like talking he's like I think it's like 120 or something like that right or 125 something like that yeah who cares? It's time. Yeah. yeah. I think at one point it was close to that. I think it was like 120. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. And so then I made it my goal to beat Pat's time. Yeah, it was 130. Oh. I, I don't want you to, yeah, you shouldn't brag about 120. Okay, we'll say 130 completely. I think what we decided no, on I faster. No, I think we should tell the kids. I think we decided at least on 125. A 92-year-old has run yeah, this exactly. in 120. Exactly. <laughs> Pat is 92 and he did Baldy in 119. I mean, he's been 92 since, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. Come on, no. Exactly. So Pat and I are doing Baldy and then I like get it in my like ginger head. I'm like, I'm going to beat Pat's time up, Baldy. Because I haven't really been interested that much in races in a long time. And I just, I get overwhelmed with the amount of people in races. And I just mm. like to be out there on my own. And so I decided, like, I'm going to try and run up this mountain as fast as Pat did. And it took me years. Like, I think it was five years. That long? That long, li- literally. 
And sometimes I would get kind of close. So it's just like the one year longer than an Olympic cycle. Yeah, exactly. So it was my Olympic training cycle was to try to keep up with Pat, which Pat and I joke about. It's like a completely unfair thing, right? Like Pat had no idea that someday in the future he'd meet a psychotic redhead who would race his younger self. So it's completely in my favor, right? Like I know it's a race now. He had no idea. (laughs) That's right. His time, he can't, it's fixed. It's unbeaten. Yeah. Exactly. And honestly, I didn't beat it. I think it was the summer after Travis died and COVID had all happened. And so all I was doing was spending time in the mountains. And so it was like a Tuesday, of course. And I had gone to see my counselor in the morning and she's like, well, what are you going to do this afternoon? I was like, I don't know. I think I'm going to go run up Baldy, but I'm going to eat some tots first, some tater tots. (laughs) So so if you want the secret fuel, this will be in, this is in women's health next month. Secret fuel for your best performance. Sweet potato tots with honey on them. And so I eat some sweet potato tots. Sounds like that would work. It was really good, honestly. Wow. So I eat those for lunch. I'm like, you know, in whatever mood I'm in on that particular day. And I've been like racing up Baldy and I send Pat pictures of my, I guess I was still wearing a watch then, obviously. Yep. You have to for a timed event. And uh, I would send Pat pictures of my watch whenever I got to the top of Baldy so he would know how I had done. And on that particular, now I'm going to forget, it must not have been under 120, but I think I did it in 122. And I sent a picture, because I think Pat and I had agreed on 125 as being the time to beat on the way up there. And and it was just like this, and it was like this incredible goal I had for so long, and it was based off of my friend Pat that I've gotten to know. And, and I made it to the top, and the mountain just flattened for me. And that was one of my most special athletic, goals and journeys of my life and it's based because my friend and i went up this mountain together uh and 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 now i finally beat pat's time up up baldy so i'm a real asshole of a friend (laughs) (laughs) i was so proud of you i know you when you did that thank you yeah and yeah it's pretty remarkable though where inspiration comes from it's amazing or where it can come from and if it's something like that or that's we talk about impact and inspiration and that had a huge impact on my life and 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 when i cared more about sport it was a huge impact and then and then when my life had imploded it gave me something still to look forward to there's a um i got a ping pong pong because this just hit yeah it came into my head i was like, yeah, where does inspiration come from? Sometimes we do things because we're trying to reenact things in the past. Yeah. And somebody, so this, I have an, this internet acquaintance climbing guy, super fan, um, and he sent me a link to something. So Gravel is doing this series now. They make ice tools, and so they send people out, or people have ideas, whatever, and it just brings attention to the brand. And so there was this guy who was just like, yeah, we're going to do old school roots with old school tools. I've heard of this, yeah. And I was just like, that must be highly engaging for a modern young man <laughs> to like strap in I bet. to some old stuff. Whatever the one episode I saw, I was just like, that's not even, you know, whatever. That's not even hard. Yeah. And those tools aren't that old. Yeah. And... Thinking of and which, which reminded me of when um, Stefan Segrist and uh, 
want to say Tessa Tommy, I can't remember who he was with, but they reenacted the first ascent of the North Face of the Iger with period stuff. And the one concession that I think Stefan wouldn't make, he was like, I'm, I, I would like to use a modern rope. Oh. Legit. <laughs> yeah, was, I, I think I've heard that before. Everything else I'm totally cool with, but yeah. maybe, just maybe, we yeah. could use a, something that would maybe hold a fall. Yeah, <laughs> legit. If you're going to make me use oh, all yeah. the other 10-point crampons. Yeah. And... yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Which is, you know, kind of... And re, you know, remarkable to like think. Oh, let's because uh, I was just thinking like, okay, what would it be like to um, <clears throat> hike from the road into Robson mm. instead of taking a helicopter <laughs> and um, stare up at the emperor face with the highest tech equipment available <sighs> in 1974. Yeah, you you're like I'm not fucking going up there. Yeah. Yeah, Are no. you kidding me? I'm like I just looked and I soiled my fucking high tech clothing trousers. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did have Chenard's drooped pick axes. So there you go. so modern. <laughs> yeah, I mean it would have been crazy at the time. Uh, I, mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, it wasn't but, even. I mean, this was this was three years after highlight. Yeah. So, so we were well equipped, really, f- for that compared to what we would have been three years earlier. Three years earlier, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But if you, but but then if you, look to, you know, just take that time machine backwards right now, and you would just be like, I don't know how we were thinking. Oh yeah. Because we just we 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 adapt to whatever you know current conditions are. And current consciousness is, and um, and it's and it's you know when I was certainly younger, as you know, and starting first climbing, I was thinking maybe I didn't have. I mean, I read a lot of history, but I probably was thinking something along the lines of I'm better than them or something, yeah. you know, like that. Um, we all do think but, that but, way. But we, we all, all, but yes, we all do. Exactly. You know, in, in, in whatever sort of yeah. arena it's in. I mean, I remember this picture. Um, Colin Haley and he's, you know, on top of Denali, you know, in modern clothing. Mm-hmm. Like, which we all oh, know is oh, different yes. than other, you know, <laughs> less modern clothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like wow, guys are running up there in you know stretch pants essentially, which you know in the early '80s I was trying to get like a kick-ass one-piece stretch suit made to go because I was like cheetah print. I, yeah, sk- yeah. I would have done cheetah, but you know solid black colors were probably. And I can't. I remember there was this this company, this this guy and a girl that I met in Seattle. They had a company called Perfect Harmony. And they made custom one-piece ski suits for you know, field horse ski racing. And I was just like, I want that, yeah. but for climbing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we talked about a design, and then, then they were just like, yeah, you want a custom one-piece suit? It's in 1980 or 81, whichever year it was. 
and it was it was more than three months rent for me you know, at the time or something. So it never really happened. They were great people. It was a great idea. Modern clothing looks like that now. Yeah. Where it, it you know it it allows you to move instead of essentially preventing you from moving. Yeah. And, yeah, well, to, yeah. and and to think about you know like the the trajectory of all the stuff that allows us to do these sort of things is and you realize like oh the technology the knowledge about the environments that we're operating in and the and and, and and the technology that sort of changes and allows us it's just like oh well i have these tools and then new opportunities open up i have these clothing systems new opportunities yeah. open up i have new physical fitness nutrition strategies new opportunities open up it doesn't seem to end no and that yeah. that knowledge right. and that experience like i mean we talk about like inspiration from the people that are out in the mountains like that are doing these certain things that impacts everything and then just like just like what you're saying the science and the people behind the people that come back from the mountains and talk about how the gear will work better if we do x y and z i mean that and and as we learn more about nutrition or whatever that all coalesces together and then we can we can go and do these things we didn't think that were possible yeah yeah so I, yeah. I, I got to Go. tell you about when I got back from the East, Jack Tackle, on that very next fall, Jack Tackle and I started going out ice climbing every weekend for yeah. some reason. And at that point, I still was wearing heavy wool knickers, knicker socks, and, and I could remember, I could hardly get my crampons one foot above my other foot to, to make a move. Yeah. I, was, I felt so... Whereas Jack, he was wearing this one-piece skeesh... Skeesh. Looking slick. Suit. And he looked so comfortable. And, and then I said to myself, you know, I have one of those <laughs> that I got, somebody gave me for skiing. And yeah. Or cross-country skiing is really for racing, yeah. racing yep. you know. I'm going to wear that climbing. I, I I don't know why I was inhibited to ever do that before. Because yeah. there's tradition. Yeah. yeah you know, know, it's part of it. It's just like when we were talking about you, you know, you loaning gear to first-time ice climbers. I'm like, Loa Triplex. Like a big ass leather boot, you know, full steel shank. I have one like, of those. Exactly. Exactly. I no. know. I know you did <laughs> the best, cause best boot I ever had. When we were yes. talking about Baldy, yes, Pat's like yeah, but I was in leather boots when I was doing it. I'm like, oh. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, don't, I didn't wear those, but I I wore the lighter weight yeah. lowest. Yeah. And on that, yeah, that was the very first time I decided to go up Bali because I was so frustrated with my research or wasn't going on and so I left I left at 7 p.m. and after dinner and got it got up there in an hour and 50 minutes I think yeah in in the boots in those boots at night yeah I understand a frustrated Baldy lap. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. no, that was that was a great fall. That was because one of those days we looked over and saw Cleopatra's was in. Good. And that hadn't happened for a few years. Mm. Okay. Alex Lowe and um, 
his friend from Missoula had been there trying to get the first ascent the year before or some years before and I think poor guy one of the guys fell on the first lead and and dropped to the ground on it and it wasn't hurt badly or anything but they gave up yeah so that opened oh. left it for us yeah, totally was dribbles the long climb you were trying to think of the name absolutely of? was yes. <laughs> who, who couldn't think of that yeah, <laughs> exactly yeah i don't know but you were just talking about cleos and you look at cleos from dribbles right Can't, no we uh, were no it's it's um not that far in okay but anyway yeah but the, well since we're on this subject yeah i and I'm too honest for my own good. Good, my I favorite. I will tell you that the other day I was looking. Uh, we were we were climbing. Um, yeah, I was I was with with Martine and mm. and and, um, and uh, Robin, Robin um, um, Houston, and and I looked. So I'm getting ready to belay. Um, Martine up and and I and so because the it was dry we could use a gri gri oh or, yeah but I looked down and uh, there the the two things are hanging from my uh, so would you like me to use um, an ATC or or this other device because I couldn't <laughs> think of the name of it. <laughs> Or this other one where... Or this other one. <laughs> but I, I did it in a way that... Did, I know how did you not, did it. <laughs> it did not reveal. It did not reveal that I didn't know the name of it. I just said, which of these two devices would you like me to use? Perfect. You know, so I escaped. Absolutely nice. perfect. But I had to go home and look it up. I understand, man. Uh, yeah. I just... It just totally blanked out. Sometimes I just do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's happening more yeah, often lately. I hear you. I blanked out on how to do a figure eight once. I was supposed Ooh. to practice leading on the fat one. And the lady was like, yeah, you can't do this if you can't remember how to do a figure eight. And my brain was just like, uh. I finally figured huh. it out. Uh, wait, but it was one of those moments when you're like, I oh, yeah. know. I the know. synapses are there. Why are they not firing? Yeah, that's <laughs> scary when it happens. Yeah. I, I, I always find like the gym belay test like seriously oh, yes. unnerving. Oh, yeah. You're like, what if I forget everything? No, it's not even that. It's like, which knot do you want? Because oh, yeah. I never use a figure eight. Yeah, totally. Right. For whatever, you know, yeah. like, because... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and mostly now, I mean, it used to be a bowling always. Right. Um, and then... On a coil. Directly into the swami belt, maybe. Well, same <laughs> thing. <laughs> same thing. <laughs> um, but then it's just been like, the uh, I generally use the Euro Death Knot. Yeah, which is just a it's an yeah. almost finished figure eight. Is it because sure. you like the name? It's only, mostly it's only <laughs> slightly weaker. Yeah, it's only, <laughs> yeah, and and I'm light, so it's not gonna. Yeah. And if you <laughs> never like, fall, like you don't, then it doesn't matter because I'm the guy who tests the holds in the climbing gym as yeah. if they might be loose. True, I see. Yeah, yeah that's that's 
510 me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so of course I can use a Bolin or an EDK. It doesn't matter. Because like, I'm not following. If your holds are not loose, I mean, right. do you guys make the purple ones loose? Because whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's a story. I have this in my head, and now I can't remember exactly. It happened on Cleo's. Uh, it might have been during an ice fest. I know that, or right prior to, um, Alex was climbing with Scott, and something fell down, and Alex had to go get stitches. Aha! Uh-huh. But wanted to stop for coffee yes, on the way. Alex. <laughs> oh my God, that sounds so right. Yeah, no, I know I, this story uh, very well. I, I, okay, good, because I all I remember is Scott's kind of version of it, which is understated enough that there are no details other than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it helps to know it was during the ice fest because that okay. meant there was a lot of ego, and. It, Alex feeds off of being the star attraction mm-hmm. and so he he decides to climb up this it's not Cleo's itself it's it's some icicle off to the right of the main ice okay and so it's about a 30 foot that big around icicle not large in diameter not large <laughs> and and I think it never been climbed before. So there's a bunch of people down below on a ledge. And he he goes up most of it until it gets right to where it connected to the rock and decides it's time to put in a, in a, um, what's the name of that? Like a specter? A specter, yes it was. Ooh, a specter. Let's hammer in a... I wanted to say scepter, but it was a specter. specter. yeah. Okay. And so he, he puts that in for his protection. And uh, the thing breaks, the whole yeah, circle yeah, yeah. comes you're, off. You're hammering it in and the icicle breaks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. This makes total sense. Imagine that happening. <laughs> so, you know, it's just how he's blinded by <laughs> the possible glory of doing this thing. And it, he, But fortunately... He's not dumb. He wasn't dumb. He he knew that even if that happened, he would land in deep snow and he wouldn't get killed. And he did. He didn't see coming was the fact that his that long of a fall is going to cause a lot of stress on the upper part of your body, and such that you go into your knee. And so he. He had the biggest black eye anybody's ever seen for a while. But, oh my God. but um, you know, he's, he survived it fine. Yeah. But it's, that's the, that was the story. I, I got no details other than... He got a coffee. Getting yeah. a coffee on the way out. That I had, on, on the I way mi- to the emergency room. Yeah, yeah. I, missed, I missed that part. <laughs> that, that sounds exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Jeez. We were talking yeah. a little bit about longevity before, and I have this feeling that part of your longevity as a climber, not only being still able to yeah um but being excited about it has to do with the balancing act between professional life and 
and I'll just say recreational life, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the guys who, the, the people, and I put myself in that group of, that made climbing the thing to the exclusion of all else meant that we burned it at both ends and then there was no middle yeah. and that it stopped. And now I'm kind of, you know, I mean, we were looking on the internet at rock shoes the other day. I'm like, I could maybe go to the climbing gym with you, yeah. ladies. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Climb some five nines. Do they still have five nines? Yeah, they got five nines, boy. Uh-huh. Yeah, Becky and I went to the climbing gym the other week, and Mark was like, I mean, I could do that. I was like, oh, my God. And I like immediately got online to like look for shoes for him. I'm like, okay, what size are you? Like, let's get these. What's, what size in rock shoes? But it, but, it, but part of it was that it was like so intense for so long yes. that yeah. it had to go away. Of course. Yeah. And then like in 2014, uh, <clears throat> my friend Jason, he kind of shamed me into going to the rock gym at some yeah. point. Yeah. And it was super fun. Yeah. So it was fun. like I had because I had no expectations of myself. Right. And I was in a rock gym in Detroit. My friend. Nick's rock gym in Detroit and like two people recognized me and they were like super cool about it like dude well, that's pretty cool yeah and nobody else and I was like oh wait there's no expectation I can just yeah. like yeah. move yeah and I can you know like, smell the chalk and the like yeah. and feel this this movement and it was and it was really fucking cool and then to go ice climbing a couple yeah. of times last winter yeah. it was so um, special was really neat and you know hopefully this upcoming next winter yes once i get my i have this i have an issue with this ankle is going to get fused in uh, a few weeks five weeks yeah something um and it'll take some time to recover but i feel like i'd be I, I could get down on some grade four. Hell yeah. 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 And we just go spend a day out in the mountains. <laughs> and it would be and it'd be really fun to come back to, but I, I but I feel like burn twice as bright half as long. Yeah. yeah. Or something. Yeah. 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 And then making a balance of social and work and climbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe is So Yeah, that's yeah, I that's sort of the big difference between you and me and and I can't say exactly why I ended up in the route that I took except that you know I couldn't if you could I couldn't, not I couldn't <laughs> not I couldn't I could I was really trying and able to do two things at once in a sense or I could have I could have my cake and eat it too, um, but I wanted to relate when I I really made the decision to not not make climbing my life because mm-hmm. I was still hanging on to that a little bit. Yeah. So we were we were in Eugene, Oregon. <clears throat> I had I was there by coincidence and. So many things in my life are just due to a coincidence of the fact that my professor moved from the University of Washington to the University of Oregon, which happened to be my hometown. So only only then would a fifth-year graduate student travel yeah. to another university to finish up the last year. Okay. But 
It made sense. Yeah. So, um, I. It turns out that Lute Jurstat, mm -hmm. that you know, oh yeah, um, sixty-three Everest, yeah. was a was there, and at the University of Oregon, he'd get. I think he got his PhD there, and was still there. And he saw me in the ski area one weekend and said, hey, Pat, you know, I know all about you. Um, and and this was 66 or 7. Um, I've got to be careful with these dates. Yeah, that's... Um, yeah, so I was there in 66, and he... Um, he was famous because it was only three years after Everest, yeah. and and he wanted me to go with him to to Denali to practice with some other famous mountaineers to go to take a, a nuclear powered radio receptor receiver to the shoulder of K two. Yeah. and listen to the Chinese. I forgot this story. There's, uh, yes. And uh, you can imagine how thrilled I was to be <laughs> invited. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it was only three years after we did the North Face, so it was still somewhat famous. Mm -hmm. And and I had a big decision to make because I was in the middle of, I was just about to finish a PhD and go along the usual pathway. And it was a hard decision for me because I was really tempted to, oh, sure. to, to, to break things off for a while and, and, yep. and become, go hobnob with these people. And of course, those close to me were advising me very much against it, but I still, it was a it was a decision point. Oh yeah, it was one of the important decision points. So I I actually mentioned this to my my advisor, my peace professor. Um, he says, "Well, I don't know if we'll do any. I don't know what to tell you really. You should go if you want to. And uh, but I I think you're not going to climb Mount Everest in chemistry." <laughs> <laughs> that was a well put, yeah. And, and I, I sort of agreed with him, so, so, went to Southern California for my postdoctoral work, and and they went to Nanda Devi instead of K two. Right? I'm going to have to go back and, and read well, that. You know, I mean, it, I know that the dev the device that was left on Nanda Devi has now... I, I think been... it was Nanda Devi, yeah. Okay. I think that's right. Yeah, there's, a, think th there's some discussion now about yeah. where that yeah. nuclear material... Right, up, exactly. ...which yeah. water source and, you know... Well, I'd be super cool to be sponsored by the CIA to go climbing, but leaking <laughs> <laughs> nuclear waste. Places. Right. Well, yeah. none of that's in the future. We we kick that can down the road to different generations. That's oh, not yeah. our problem. Yeah. We're, exactly. we're just trying to get ours. You're sounding like a boomer, man. <laughs>
I'm a late boomer. I know you're a late boomer. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of being a late boomer, I mean, it came up today. We were talking about uh, gas prices and, uh, or, and, and the 55 mile an hour speed limit and how oh, Montana yeah. was like the Wild West when that happened. And, yeah. and I was just thinking like, oh, my God, I do remember Jimmy Carter and the fucking gas lines and, yeah. the, you know, that, yeah. that era right. yeah. of when the 55 mile an hour speed limit came in and but you could go to Montana and it was like if you got caught speeding if somebody pulled you over it was a five dollar fine for wasting fuel and you could only get one warning or one ticket in a 24 hour period and if you got a ticket you put it on your dashboard and then the next cop that saw you oh, driving wow. 70 well you know like all of these stories from you know your and and now I'm thinking, like, man, it could go. We could be going back to the 55 national speed limit. That would be impossible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So let's see what. Well, the other. I wanted to mention also there was a second kind of moment in my life yeah. that. Yes. Um. Because it came a year, let's see, after the year after we went up there and sat in the, sat in the tents and did, did nothing um, to, the, to the emperor face, um, then I think I built my house. Because mm. just had to. For yeah. some reason, and, yeah. but then um, the next year, Terry Kennedy and Jim Kanzler and I were going back to, to the Emperor Face and get it. But um, so so now first, we're seventy six, seventy seven, I think now. Okay, and I think so. But I had, in the meantime, developed a passion to try to climb the. F North face of Mount Saya in which is is just incredible vertical limestone face in Glacier Park. Okay. And Ooh. and I made a trip in there with a buddy, maybe a couple of trips in and so it turns out that Terry Kennedy, my friend, um had also had eyes on that, but anyway, the three of us were going to do it and they flew over it and they they said, "Yeah, yeah, well, we don't even need aid slings for that." And I thought differently, and I was really pissed at them for not bringing any. And we met there, and um, but and then after that, we were going to go up to to Robson. It, for some reason, I just started getting the feeling that I didn't want to do that again. I didn't want to go up there. Yeah. I and I was had a an aching homesickness to go back and be with my family. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I hadn't had that ever before. You know, I I I went to you know to Robson and yeah. and, and Canadian Rockies a number of times, and uh, it just it, I didn't ever have any guilt about that. I felt like, no problem. I, 
I'm not. I'm careful, and I, no problem. Yeah. And but and that was during the time when when the kids were not so so old either. I mean, they yeah. Oh, yeah. they were. And I couldn't help myself. I just had to go back. Yeah. And that. So I mean, it was it a turning like, point. As Blair noted before, it's like oh, you, you feel it in your gut and you listen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I and I I think we, as human beings, that's one of our biggest struggles in yeah. life is yeah. to. I feel this, but do I? Listen. Do I act mm -hmm. on this? Do I? Yeah. Is it? You know what? What other pressure am I feeling? Right. You know from yeah. from and, things. And I think, and a really beautiful part of this is like, well, you could, quote unquote, be a climber, quote unquote, be a professional in academia, and you could follow how people tell you to do it, or you could listen to what's appropriate and right for you. Uh, and, and as we get to listen to a part of Pat's story, it's a really beautiful part of it is, is he didn't feel confined to how other people did it. And so he blended these braids of uh, a life out in the mountains, a, a life of inquisitiveness, uh, in the res research lab and teaching students and also a very, very, very rich life with his family. Uh, and, and he didn't feel he had to do it in a certain way. He did it for what was right with him and his family. Uh, and I think those are often the stories that move us are the people that are brave enough or have the courage to do that for what's right for them and not how other people have written it. Yeah, well, as I said before, it's um, that there just comes a point. And, and the same thing happened when I finally did get that opportunity to go to the high mountains. Um, I always thought I would do it more than once, but and it it was a long time coming. But but when I had that opportunity, I took it. Felt like I was I had to, yeah. and it seemed kind of crazy to do it in some respects. But um, I was I was kind of surprised that I said I was I I felt in my in my soul I could not do it again. Yeah. It was just too too draining on the on oh. Gail and, and the kids yeah. for that. And I just couldn't do it again. Yeah. And it, I mean it's it's funny you talk about that about the, the sort of two month expedition to China with Becky and courtesy mm -hmm. of Quaker Oats mm -hmm. sort of um I feel like I I, I don't know, later watching a presentation at the Alpine Club meeting that Chouinard made, and I guess it was about the Minyakonka trip. Yeah, I think I it would say, have been. Where, where he was just like, yeah, I'm never going to the big mountains again. Yeah. Like that was too much stress. It was too much risk. It was not what interests me in having a relationship with climbing. And um, when I said, it was an Alpine Club meeting in Seattle. Yeah, well, that was there was a fatal accident. That it was yes. an avalanche. Yeah, and yeah, and it was uh, uh, I want to say Jonathan, maybe some, but yeah. he was he was the national. They were there. Yeah. They were doing some for National Geographic. Yeah, I feel like, and he was a cameraman, and yeah, yeah. yeah. the fatality is a big 
is an important part of that. But I think just just yeah. what we it's it's easy to be like vacuumed into a pipeline of ambition yeah. of uh, you, you know in, in, in a way where um, there's there's a somewhat logical progression about climbing that you start yeah. here and then you graduate right. to this yeah. and then you're in the medium mountains and then you're in the this and then you end up in the Himalayas or you know yeah right. the, yeah absolutely the, the the big mountains and um to be able to step out of that and just go, no, this is not my par particular path. Mm -hmm. It's hard because of the sort of collective sure. momentum that I think happens in, right. the, in the community. Yeah, I actually called Chenard before we went on that trip and he, he said, he's, he was very negative about it because of what had happened. Because mm. we were in the same range. Mm -hmm. and, he said, yeah. he said those, those peaks are like 10 miles apart yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. And he said that, you know, he, he implied that the, the snow isn't good there. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> uh, that. That snow, it's, it's yeah. not the good kind. It, it feels like those reference points where you, you know, listen to intuition and, and, uh, and behaved accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have contributed to, you know, not only sort of general longevity, but athletic longevity and, uh, and maybe academic longevity as well. Because yeah. of, like, if I go too deep, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, I, I, I look up and there's no light, you know. Coming in the hole anymore, and if I behave in a way that um, either professionally or athletically feed this hunger, but not in a in, not in a in an all-consuming way, then I get to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I more. I thought about <clears throat> this as I mentioned before. Um, it just, I just couldn't see giving up one or the other because I, I honestly thought about it when I was still in graduate school. I thought, you know, it's, you really got to focus down on something right? <laughs> instead of, and, and so I think I said I can't get rid of climbing, but I can get rid of ski patrolling or yeah, I can, so. Yeah. So I just, those are the two things that I couldn't get rid of, and I couldn't see any way to do it. That it would, I would just be a, a mental wreck if yeah. I, if I did. Yeah. And I knew that it, it was going to cost me. <clears throat> it was going to cost me accomplishment in both areas, but. Sure. But it, it didn't matter. There's no other way I could do it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Trust your gut. Yeah. And it oh. led to a, a very, very rich life. Yeah. Well, I'll get my ankle fixed. Yes. And I would take great pleasure in going ice climbing. Do you have the next winter? Oh, my goodness. My well, dream. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> what about Rockland? <laughs> yeah.
Do they still have five nines? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that a thing? There's probably yeah. not a line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, when I was at, at Talkeet's Rock, the highest grade, even there in Yosemite too, it was 510 plus. Yeah. And I could do it. I was doing new routes and we'd grade them in 510 plus because they were really hard. Because that's the hardest there is. And I, but I never really rose above that level. <laughs> in, a, in a true sense. And there, for some reason, if I tried to really get super strong, my fingers would just hurt so much. It hurt so, yeah. I couldn't deal with it. Yeah. I um, somebody was asking me about something recently, some route, and they're like, "Well, how hard was that thing?" And I'm like, "Dude, it's five nine A three, because that was the grade that Dave Cheeseman would apply to any new route in the Canadian Rockies that yeah. was like, because yeah. that was the hardest grade there was." And he's like, "I don't yeah. think I'm any better than the right. guys that yeah. did these yeah. routes." Yeah, yeah, we were stuck there it, for a so long time. It's just like that's what it is. Yeah. And then he did the North Pillar and North Twentieth Barry, and they called it something different, but. Um, but the classic sandbag yeah. Canadian Rockies Alpine grade was 59A3. And <laughs> yeah. I guess just, I'm like, oh, yeah, that route, yeah, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you do <laughs> so you're saying we're going to go ice climbing next year? I, I, if I can get, you know, if I, can, if I can get some tools. You know, Scott asked me. Oh, yeah, Scott Baggies. Yeah. He was like, do you still want a pair of Nomics? And I was like, yeah. And then nothing happened this winter. Yeah. Scott, I'm calling you out, man. Scott, you better. <laughs> I'll right. pay. I just won't pay retail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we should, we, should, we should do that. We should do that. I, but I mean, to when we went and I could um, last last winter and I could, you know, borrow, climb on. Trav's tools and crampons mm -hmm. and ropes and rack. Yeah, and it's pretty, pretty powerful. Oh, it was so powerful. I mean, one, just to get to watch you go through Travis's rack, and then it's like, you know, Mark will talk about how he hasn't climbed in forever, but, you know, all those mannerisms are still there. Yeah. And so for to see him so effectively and efficiently and fluidly set up his rack of Travis's gear, you know, and, and, Mark is a person that Travis so dearly looked up to and, and yeah. read. And so for then for Mark to go through his gear and to be moving it, it was just so oh, beautiful. It it's so, so special. So That's just so neat that that happened. It is. In, yeah, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And just swing those black diamond vipers exactly. or whatever they were called <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, or, exactly. or like, oh, these crampons, oh, they're black, they're saber tooths. Yeah. I, did the Slovak direct with these crampons? I know how yes. to. Yeah, they're not the best waterfall climbing crampons. Yeah. It turns out, <laughs> but yeah. it doesn't matter. It's yeah, like this is. So yeah, uh, let's. Um, we'll pencil that in. Okay, perfect. It's a date. <laughs> and if, because uh, apparently, I mean, I've, you know, talked to a bunch of people, and you mentioned another one. You know, tonight, like. But fused ankle, you still get a, you can still do some stuff. Oh my goodness, yeah. And and I remember seeing Kim Schmitz in the Teton Rock Gym one day. Yeah. You know, come in with his fused ankles and move around and yeah, like because he was one of the 
like I did this this uh, so after the avalanche course I did in the winter with Peter and Rod Newcomb, I went back the following June to do the mountain instructor training course, and it was uh, Peter Lev, Chuck Pratt, Chenard, Dave Carmen, Kim Schmitz, Harry Frischman. Wow. I think we're the the instructors. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I was like, which I realized later in life, I was like, I had 10 days with the fucking A-team. Yes, you so did. Incredible. <laughs> so incredible. Yeah. And, and like, I look at this picture of the, you know, the, of Briggs, you know, Bill Briggs tracks on the east face of the Grand, or yeah. east face of the Grand, and this print on the wall right here, and I'm like, he was there for that avalanche course, the, right, the previous right. thing. Like all those really incredible men, climbers, skiers, just human beings coalesced around yeah. the XM. And, right. and I got sort of like parachuted, or I, I parachuted in at that point. But, but like just being around that June, being around Schmitz, and obviously it was before the accident, and um, like how powerful the energy was among all of those of all of them, and uh, like, well, okay, so he got around with you know he fucking fell eighty feet to a ledge and got yeah. all fucked up and was yeah. pretty viable for fifteen years after. Yeah, it was words and uh, so I figure if I get my ankle fused, I can probably go ice climbing again. It might even be helpful. It might be. <laughs> you, well, if it doesn't bend, there's no you, you cast strain. Want, you, you, that's exactly what you aim for. Climbing boots and crampons is in ice climbing is to have it a rigid sort like of your, angle. Yeah, like you're standing on sidewalk or something. Yeah. You know, it might. Hopefully, it, it will work well. Well, if it works well for this one, maybe I'll just get the other one done too. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Can I have an elective ankle fusion? I uh, heard geez. no doctor ever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they, they've never heard of climbing Baldy to get rid of knee pain either. That, that's, that's also true. Which yeah. makes complete logic to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. I think we've gone, we've talked for about four hours. Impressive Yeah, it's team. a little longer than the two hours I was promised. <laughs> <laughs> well. But it didn't seem that long. It, yeah. it, 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 it doesn't. No, And it I doesn't. feel like there's more about it. Like, I, yeah, it, there's a lot, this feels like we make a date for, the, for another meeting. Yes. In, in a different venue. Yes. And there are lots of things I didn't talk about. Of course. It, 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 Exactly. And yeah. same for you. So, yep. Yep. No, I that's, would love that. It's fine, Liz. Thank you, Pat, so much. Yes. <laughs> well, my pleasure, and it, it really was fun. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. And, and, I, and I also think important. I don't know how many listen, climbers listen to this podcast, but I'm going to send a text to Chris Caloose. Oh, yeah who has the normal cast and say, hey man, steer some people here because this is, there's some historical um, information 
you yes. know, some ideas mm-hmm. here that yeah. I think are important for the climate community. And oh, we should yeah. steer younger, and I didn't younger even get climbers to, towards it. Yeah. I didn't even get to tell you how I, I um, led Don Willens up Talkeets Rock. See? See? Okay. There's There's plenty more. There's. I I know, and we didn't get to the story. Uh, 70 years of climbing. Exactly. Of course, there's plenty more. (laughs) And one of my favorite, I don't know what this climb was, but one time we were driving up to Highlight, and Pat's recanting this story, and he's like, Yeah, I like sent this 511 in the rain, and everyone was just amazed by it. He's like, But I know what it was. It was the beer. <laughs> I, I forgot about that. Yeah, that happened. I listen, man. I listen to you. <laughs> yeah. It's so, been a while. I forgot that one. Let's have some dates. Yeah. Let's do that. Pat, thank you so thank much. Thank you for you guys for moderating it. And contributing. Mm-hmm. We'll do it again because we didn't even, we didn't get to the script. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or the ideas. I had some notes. You had some notes. Maybe yeah. we covered yeah. s- some of them. 10%. Got, got some yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to save that story for the yeah. next one because Perfect. I Again. absolutely want to hear this. Yes. And we'll do it. talk about box tents or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for having me over for this. It's good whiskey, too. This 